1: Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Matt Green.
0: I'm Kyle Timberlake,
2: And I am Jeremy Duvall. Welcome! We're back again for another episode of Firefight coverage. We'll be bringing in Tyler from Aerial Deployment in the second round, mind you. No, uh, no uh, Aerial Deployment in round number one. We'll be bringing in Tyler uh, in a minute. He is off doing uh, grown-up things. So right now, for the first part of this Firefight episode, I'm excited to have... Uh, kyle timberlake uh we we got him a little bit before wrestling practice so uh before he rolls around with other sweaty guys and gals uh kyle how are you doing today doing good awesome and then we have uh as you heard from the top of the episode matt green uh fresh from across the sea a member of the rc how are you doing matt
3: i'm doing good thanks
2: awesome So this episode, we're going to cover a little Adepticon Firefight action. We'll talk a little bit UK competitive Firefight. We're going to be going over, if you haven't seen, make sure to check out and join Firefight Fanatics on Facebook. They've been putting together some really, really interesting numbers from the Firefight UK scene, looking at faction win rates, looking at player rankings, Uh, Lots of really interesting data that we're going to talk a little bit about as we sort of look at going into the first update, which if you've been listening to our Adepticon coverage, uh, they talked a little bit about it, Adepticon, about coming sort of later in the year. We're going to be getting a a sci-fi book with some updates to... Firefight balance, you know, all I think uh, Clash of Kings, but for Firefight. So in kind of sort of going into that, we're going to take a little bit competitive breakdown to sort of see how the different factions are doing. We'll do a little musing on what we think the good factions are and uh, maybe what we anticipate or might see coming towards the end of the year. So really excited to have you guys on. And then the second part of the episode is I will be circling back with Tyler to talk our more uh, Adepticon more stuff what he's up to and then we'll also be discussing this year at the kings of war u.s masters that's being held in omaha tyler and i are going to be running a firefight event that friday we don't quite know for sure yet if we're going to do a a giant demo or if it's going to be a small tournament we're still working out the details but for those attending the u.s kings of war masters or the best of the rest tournament there will be some firefight action going on that Friday evening before. So, so before we get started in our main topics, let's do a quick around the table hobby update. Let's start with you, Kyle. What have you been working on uh, hobby wise? I know I just saw you recently at the Reno Jackalopes tournament. Have you been working on anything lately, hobby wise?
1: Uh, the doors are done. I don't. Yeah, I'm going to uh, Lone Wolf next weekend. So nothing really to do there. So I've been doing some other stuff. I got a bunch of friends into D&D recently, so I'm running two separate campaigns as the DM for that. So a lot of prep for that. And I just did a big batch of um, Battletech uh, models and took all the mold lines off them. It's been raining the past two days, uh, so I wanted to spray and get a base coat on them and haven't done that, but Mm -hmm. that's it so far.
2: Awesome. And then what about Dead Zone or Firefight? Do you have any projects on your horizon, or what do you think you're going to be working on next in that sort of arena? Well,
1: actually, up in uh, Reno, I got two more Forgefather tanks. So I got an, um, basically so my 2,000-point list. I can have two APCs. I have the uh, Brander Urban Assault Vehicle already built, so I needed like a regular tank to use uh, in case of that. So now I got four Forgefather tanks, so I'm going to build them up. I'm that guy who has his finger in eight different pies all at once. So it's kind of like whatever the flavor of the week is this week with my friends is what I'll be working on. Uh, so I'm just waiting for some people to get caught up on Firefight. And then I'm just like, – everything's yes. built pretty much. I just need – and most of the stuff's base coated. Just like now, all right, we're doing it next week? Cool. I'll, I'll start burning through models that way is normally how my mind works.
2: I always think of you, Kyle, as – you know, did you see? And I, I'm, I'm assuming yes. But like the, the first, uh, the original Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I love that movie. Where it's like when they get to uh, Queens, all their luggage gets stolen, and the, there's the one guy. He open. He's like, "Hey, do you guys need some toothbrush, hair dryer? And he's got all the stuff in like, <laughs> yeah. his robe. I imagine you're like that, but with gaming. So it's yeah. like, uh, you know, you, c- you go to someone's house to like get them in the gaming and they're like, well, what game are we going to play? And you open up the robe and you've got like Kings of War, you've got Armada, you got BattleTech, <laughs> Tech, you've got Firefight. It's like, well, what do you want to play? It's like you got all the options.
1: Yeah. Tell me what and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I love that, you know, and I think that's something that is, is, is something that gets lost sometimes in that we all love our game systems. And I always say that like Kings of War is my main squeeze and Firefight's my hot mistress, but it doesn't mean that there aren't like lots of cool games out there. It's really is like a golden era to be into miniature war gaming. So it's really a great, it's really a great time. Um, What about you, Matt? What are you working on hobby wise? You got, you got anything on the paint table? Mostly Maison Labs at the moment. I've
3: been painting loads and loads of red jumpsuits onto various little GCS people. They're awesome. quite fun to paint. And some scenery. I've been putting together like the dead zone scenery, the um, train crate scenery, but making it into buildings that really suit um, firefight, putting them on bases, keeping the height reasonably low, just trying to put all the little gribbly bits on, cutting the doors out and insetting them so they look a little bit more 3D. and putting posters all over them. And so then I spent this weekend clearing out the shed so that I can get the 3D printer when the English weather decides to actually warm up again so I can start using it. I can get the printer running and then I can start printing out bits as well to put even more detail onto my buildings.
2: And do you, is uh, uh, is it like an MDF printer that you like or is it a resin printer or what kind of printer are you using?
3: It's a resin printer. I used it a bit last year, printed out things like trophies for tournaments and stuff like that. Um, but now it looks like Mantic can start doing some sort of subscription thing that they've teased a bit about. Um, yeah, it looks like that could be a good time to to get the three D printer working. But say my shed, if you want to get a printer to twenty degrees um, Celsius to get it working well, my shed is not that warm at the moment. <laughs> it's freezing, and you get like a day where you think, ah, oh, the weather's great, and you get outside and you mow the lawn, and you think, oh. You know, we're up to eighteen degrees, and then two days later, it's hailing, and you're thinking, "What the hell has happened? We're not quite there yet. Give it, yeah. give it a couple of weeks."
2: You know, Kyle and I are from California, so usually we don't have to like, I, and especially like I'm in Northern California, where the majority of the time it's seventy five degrees, which I I'm not a good converter, so I don't know what that would be in uh, your fancy fancy talk temperature. But, I think it's like
1: between twenty five and thirty degrees. Celsius. Okay,
2: yeah. So that's pretty much the weather all year round, almost for us or for me is is around that. So it's I always hear people like I can't prime for three months of the year because it's snowing out and I'm in my flip flops, <laughs> into my shorts and flip flops. <laughs> but that's why it's so expensive to live here. So I I do pay for that privilege.
3: And so according to Google, I need sixty eight degrees Fahrenheit. That's what I'm aiming for to get my shed up. So.
2: Oh, okay, yeah, okay. And it's yeah. um, like a cool winter's day here. <laughs>
3: It's like 46 degrees Fahrenheit at the moment in my garden, so so not not warm enough. (laughs) Yeah, not warm enough. Warm enough that the wife thinks it's time to turn the heating off, but cold enough that I don't agree. That's the Mm -hmm. basic (laughs) principle.
2: And you mentioned red, so are you going for your Maison Labs, that sort of cool black and red color scheme?
3: I've gone for a kind of dark gray and red. I just found it easy to paint. I think red, black's really hard to highlight, so... Dark gray and, and red just kind of seemed to work. I like painting red. It's quite an easy color. Yeah. After doing my forces in yellow and getting halfway through it, thinking, why Why did I choose yellow? This is just a stupid color. Why did I do that? So uh, gray and red's my my easy mode.
2: Nice, nice. That's cool. I just I just think that's such a the – gr- the red and black or red and dark gray, it's like such a classic. Colors that go really well together.
3: And then you've got the security guide security guard chaps which i painted in um, red jackets because i figured star trek mode you need kind of a red shirt person that's just there to die so uh, that's where I'm from.
2: yeah it's like let's get him on the away team you know so let's like let's get him out there so he can take the shots well i've been working on a bunch of stuff i got my female uh head swaps in for my uh maybe it's maybelline gcps beauty influencer army So, I got all my cool beret and eye patch and tough looking female heads sent in from statuesque miniatures. So, I'm going to get ready to start uh, looking at what I want to be in my GCPS faction. I did like a big hobby room or hobby uh, organizing where I went and I got like a bunch of totes from Target and my label maker. And now I have sort of like everything organized into maybe. Maybe like three foot by one foot or two and a half foot by two foot by six or eight inch deep totes. So now it's like all my empire of dust is what is in one box. All my forge father stuff is in one box. So they're almost like divided like into project boxes. So I did a bunch of that, which was sort of helping me like get organized for what the future projects are going to be. So I do have some tanks, so I'm, for Firefight wise, I'm I'm either thinking of flushing out the Forge Fathers, uh, getting a little bit more into them, or depending on how excited I am, I might just go straight to the GCPS. But I had a buddy of mine come over last weekend and actually got to play a Firefight game in person, which was just like amazing. I don't get a lot of gaming in person. It's just where I'm located. There's not a lot of Mantic gamers or into Kings of War or, or Dead Zone or Firefight, but I got one of my long, long-time buddies uh, to come play who, who's played Kings of War. And again, it was by 15, 20 minutes into the game, we were playing the game, right? And he'd never played Firefight. But having played Kings of War, he was like, oh, okay, so I get, I get the idea of abstract terrain. Okay, this makes sense to me. So I found that it was really easy to get him up and running and playing in the game. And he played uh, Enforcers, and I played my Forge Fathers. And he had a list. He had some Sniper teams. He had some Peacekeepers, which, man, those Peacekeepers are really tough, especially when you get the order off to give them the extra resilient because he had a Peacekeeper commander. And he sort of just marched those guys up the middle of the table. And then he had some Bikers. So he had a a pretty nice, like, all-balanced speed list. Uh, and it was good. It was one of those situations where he crushed me and I was happy that he crushed me because by the end, he's like, oh, man, this game is so fun. You know, when you're when you're when he's just destro- destroying my five models and my Forge Father army at a thousand points. Yeah, you, yeah, you know see, you see
1: your friend light up and you're like i got another one
2: yes someone like, to play with good <laughs> it's like let the wookie win you know yeah. what i mean he's like i'm just like crush me i mean i'm like i'm right here kill me i'm right do here it. do it kill me do it, do it now <laughs> you know and then he's like okay so what's this companion i gotta go home and i gotta make lists and i'm just like sitting there stroking my my cat like a james bond villain going like you know excellent Uh, So I'm hoping to get him into it and then maybe get some of uh, the other friends who got frustrated with other sci-fi games being too complex or not making sense or or feeling old-fashioned. Or Really, the alternating activation is just so key in making you feel like if I don't go first, you're not going to shoot off half my army. Or I don't have to be so paranoid about deploying everything in cover at the beginning of the game because if I don't go first, you'll shoot off half my army. So there were some elements of just the nature of the game that, that he really liked. So pretty excited about that. Uh, and I've also been working on, I'm going to Lone Wolf as well, along with Kyle. And then Brinton is also going to be going to Lone Wolf here next weekend. And it is our last game in our, or sorry, it is the last out of region tournament that you can use for a master's swap in event. And we have a lot of players sort of fighting for that seven, eight, nine spot. So it's going to be really interesting to see who. And then obviously, there's certain times where not all eight of your top people can qualify. So we'll look at that once the seasons finish and figure out who our top eight players will be for the West Rest region. But again, Kyle, it's another year of super competitive Kings of War in the West, and it's no longer like you, Rashad, Britain, and myself, and like Scott and Mike. It's like the only people like wanting to travel for Kings of War. So another good season, I think.
1: Yeah. Yep. Our region's growing every year. Yeah.
2: So I've been working on my Empire of Dust, which is my all-mantic Kings of War army, I'm making some progress there. I finished my Monolith. I am now doing the test model for my enslaved guardians along with working on with on my skeleton horde of skeleton warriors. And then I've just been kind of trying to get all my bases done. Like I was working on one of the bases for my scavengers, which I'm going to be using. I thought about using the scorch wings, uh, but Rob has scorch wings and he's using like the same color scheme than I am. So it's like, I don't want to have Scorch Wings that look exactly like his Scorch Wings. So I think I'm going to go, and especially since they are now in resin, the metal murder birds from Dead Zone and Firefight, those are now being produced in resin. So I'm going to use those as my scavengers, which I think that should work, right? Like, as kind of like, you know, carrion birds that they yeah, should easy, use that. Easily. They should work. Yeah, I've seen that used quite a few times. It looks good. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. So I've been working on some bases for those. I'm thinking of... I have a bunch of the uh, Razorwing Ravens from a Dark Eldar project that I never used. So I might make some other flocks of birds like flying in and around different terrain pieces. So kind of thinking about how to add bling to that army. So that's basically where I'm at. I'm going to be looking at getting into my GCPS army. If I do do Forge Fathers, I think I'll be adding a tank or so just to round out get up to 1500 points you know because i have that thousand points done from um adepticon and then working on the empire of dust so a lot of fun fun things on the agenda hobby wise so well awesome we're going to take a quick break and on the other side we're going to be talking firefight tournaments we'll be right back hey this is ash barker from gmg and you are listening to
4: Countercharge. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, and I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Countercharge. Okay, we are back.
2: So we've talked a little bit about about it on the Adepticon coverage, but recently, last couple of weeks, we had the Adepticon Firefight Tournament, which was went fantastic. Uh, I believe we had around eighteen players. So, like a really solid, probably one of the bigger firefight events in the US? I took my Forge Fathers, had some great games. Uh, I'll touch briefly on sort of my games and kind of give you give you guys my sense and maybe you, you know, you can let me know what you think. But so we were playing a thousand points on a four by four table. And a thousand points felt okay, but I still think I like I missed not having the six by four table. What what do we guys think about? That option of being able to play on a four by four or six by four. Maybe Matt, you go first. Have you guys been using six by fours for all your events in the UK?
3: We've been using four by fours. Oh, you've been using four by fours, but not because it's good. No, it not
2: okay. Because I don't think it's good. Is you know spoiler, no. spoiler alert, alert, alert. Is I don't think it's great.
3: No, the the, the game works a lot better on a six by four, a five by four, but a six by four is really good. The reason we've used four by fours is because the shop we've held them in just has limited space. Um, You know, it's not TARDIS. Um, And the 4x4s, then we could fit more players in. But the next one that I'll do is probably going to be 6x4s held at the school where I work, because I've got the space to do it. So yeah, definitely, if you can do 6x4s, I, I, I think it's the best way to do it.
2: And what do you think, Kyle, on that 4x4 versus 6x4?
1: I've honestly never played 4x4. I've only ever done six by four. I've only ever played fifteen hundred points, <laughs> besides the thousand point games we did before uh, you went to the, to Depticon. So I just I don't have a reference point. I just like I, I, as a former forty k player from many years ago, and a Kings of War player. and just other games six by four is like such an industry standard. Um, I'm just I'm just used to it, I guess. Yeah,
2: no, I'm up the same way. And what I found in I think at a thousand points and a four by four. I think you saw some of the rough edges of the game as in not so maybe a little bit related to the rules, but maybe more so related to balance. Or I think some of those elements that I know are being worked on, refined, fine-tuned. They were a little bit more evident, I think, at those sort of skewed down points and skewed down table size. Uh, It it, it did make sense as in for the first tournament. It very much was a, a thousand points. So it was a smaller size event. We had really good round times. I think we had like an hour per person, so it was like two hour games, two hour rounds somewhere around there. Which at a thousand points, I think is that is more than enough time uh, to finish. But it was good to have that extra time because people were having to look in rule books or uh, look at the you know look at because it's just everyone's new to the game. So I felt like it was it was a fair amount of time to have, but definitely I think we could have played. 1500 points at that same time level uh matt what time time wise how have you guys been running year rounds how much time have you been giving players Uh, about two hours about two hours Um, yeah
3: and it we've had some players that finished really early because they've played a fair bit of firefight and then we had some people that kind of overran and and played into their lunch breaks because at this point of the when we do a kings of war tournament you're going to have an awful lot of very experienced players, and you kind of drip feeding new players in one or two at a time. These firefight tournaments, there's people that have only literally only played our tournaments in some cases, or they've played few, you know, much fewer games. So you, we've had to cut them a bit more, a bit more slack.
2: And I think that's good. And sort of the the entry space of competitive play with firefight is you do have a lot of players. So I think right now, if you're thinking about running a firefight event and you have the option, I would probably always err on the side of giving more time than you think you need than giving less time just because it's It's not just like one new player playing with, in a tournament with an event with a lot of players who can help guide them and move them along and all that stuff. There's a lot of players at this firefight event. Like uh, Felix jokingly said on the show, he had more armies of firefight than games played. <laughs> you know and, and and there was a few players probably in that same same arena uh who had had like literally like kyle said the week the friday night before riddle of steel was the first time i played firefight on the tabletop and that was like the week before adepticon or two weeks before adepticon so i think having that time was was good most of my games all ended quickly or sorry ended within that time frame My first round, I played against uh, Mark Zielinski against another Forge Father list. And we were playing the scenario where you, um, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but the objectives on your side of the board, you got points for scoring each round. You got more points for scoring the ones in the middle. And then you got the most points for scoring the ones in your opponent's side of the board. So it really lent towards you wanting to keep a squad on, your objective points in your backfield from the beginning of the game which for me worked out okay because all my squads had missile launchers so i could sit back on my objectives and still shoot but mark had a lot of squads that didn't have missile launchers so it was like well do i sit back on this objective score the points but never shoot you or do i try to move forward so i think right away it showed that in list building you need to think about like In a scenario, if I have objectives that I need in my deployment zone that I need to leave guys there, what's a unit that could do that but also be rolling dice? So right off the bat, we were seeing in our game some elements to list building, and we talk about that in Kings of War all the time, right? building elements in your list to play scenario, and that's one of them. right? What what can I leave in my backfield to sit on objectives that can then shoot at long range? That's like an objective scenario that you're probably going to have to to implement in a firefight tournament so it was interesting to see that level of strategy right of not just building a list based on what's good but also thinking about how is this list going to play to the scenarios i'm playing it was nice to see that in firefight as well as in kings
3: Hmm. what scenarios did you play at uh, depth concert of interest
2: Okay, so we play. take and hold was the first scenario. So that is the scenario where you're awarded victory points at the end of each round. For each objective that you hold in your own deployment zone, you get one victory point. For each objective on the center line, you get two victory points. And each objective in your opponent's deployment zone, you get four points. And there's three objectives along the center line, two in your deployment, and two in your opponent's deployment.
3: What size table were you playing on? Four by four. That's an interesting thing about that picture in that book. There's only two objectives on the center line in a four by four.
2: And and that might have been how it was. I'm not sure. I can't remember if we only had no, two. A, b- a lot
3: of people have done three because the picture is a square. Yes. And it's got three on it. So and you look at it and you assume yeah. that's a four-foot table, three objectives. I was just interested because that was a mistake. I was, we were, we'd started the first round of our tournament when one of the players kind of shouted out, hang on a minute, There's only supposed to be two and literally across the entire room, we'd all made the same mistake, and nobody had noticed.
2: And, then, and we could have, too. I can't remember. I can't remember what we did, to be honest. It's now been a couple of weeks since the Depticon, so we mm. might have had three in the middle. I'm not sure. Um, mm. But our game, pretty much, like I set up two of my Steel Warrior squads on my objectives in the backfield, The both squads with two missile launchers, and they just didn't move for the whole game. They just hung out there and just shot, and then I, I took my hammer fist drop squad and dropped it next to one of the deployment uh, objective markers in Mark's deployment and then just shot his dudes off and then just was scoring that objective. So thank you. That was one thing I I learned or that we figured out when Kyle and I were playing my list at Riddle of Steel, we were trying, we were we were doing things, trying things out and that's when he made the suggestion to add in the hammer fist drop squad because originally I didn't have it in the list and it is my moneymaker squad, man. And now that the beta is showing them going up to armor seven, which is amazing because they are wearing forge guard armor. So it should be armor seven. It makes them a little bit more survivable. And I just love that unit, man. You drop them, they turn on their mining lasers. They just melt, melt, whatever they're, I guess if they had advanced training chef's kiss, that's the only thing I miss with them is not being able to give them an order.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, they're already pretty damn good. Do you need advanced training? Like, what? <laughs> I, yeah. Do you need everything? No, that's why I, I say... i like, a 40 like, player who's my favorite unit is the is drop suits. Yes. I just want to, like, a, part of it is I want to take a lot of them, if I if I ever want to, make a cool themey list. I don't want to be that guy who's like, I took a lot of this. You ready to have a bad time? <laughs>
2: exactly. Like, I think they're very good. And the armor, I think, puts them now, they're at, a, like, a solid like on the on the plus side of the bell curve as being really good so again they don't need advanced training i'm just saying i wouldn't say no it's like i would don't threaten me with a good time you know if you if, if you wanted to give them advanced training they were like really my one of my standout units like throughout the whole tournament they could that you can drop down they can score objectives you can drop them as a killing thing as in my uh second round so my first round I was able to, to beat Mark in our second round. If you haven't watched it, I play Tyler and he put it on. We filmed it for a Dread Path Zone YouTube channel. So make sure you check out that video. If you haven't, you want to see our second game. In our second game, I just dropped him in the middle of the board to try to kill his second mutant rat fiend because I would killed the first one in shooting. And then I was like, well, I'm going to try to take out both these bad boys because you do not want a mutant rat fiend to charge you in assault, I've learned. Yeah. And they dropped down and they like couldn't quite kill the mutant rat fiend i he i left it with one wound left so that he the mutant rat fiend just looked at them and was like oh and just went over there and just evaporated they were dead but um, there's just such a good squad like really a, a a tool that you can use for a lot of different situations so that game against tyler my second game in adepticon very much your classic I often think about them, the games that I love are the ones that you can imagine in your mind is like a mind movie. And essentially it was what you would think. Him running up with his Veermen, popping smoke, dodging in and out of terrain. And, and my Forge fathers were just shooting. Just like, shoot, 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 shoot. Can I shoot enough of him that by the end of the game, they're dead? So for this, the scenario that we were playing in round two... We were playing uh, Secure the Sector, which for those non-firefight players, Secure the Sector is sort of similar to Control, where you have the uh, board divided into grids. Uh, so for, for us playing on a 4x4, four four, we had four squares of 24 by 24 And essentially, at the end of the game, the unit that has the most unit strength in each square controls that square. So my goal was... Tyler's going to rush me. I need to try to shoot off as much as possible. And then at the end of the game, have myself positioned to sprint into the different board squares. So we had a really great game. I, I think Tyler, will, we, we, we did one thing, Tyler made maybe a small mistake. And then another thing, we, we did kind of like a ruling that was we asked the TO and we ended up doing it wrong. And how we did it wrong was definitely in my favor. So I sort of just che- I, I i i cheesed out Tyler a little bit at the end, but we had no idea. And I guess Nick posted something showing us where in the rule book it was. But uh, we had a thing where he charged with his the guy who has the nightmare bodyguards. I want to say one of the one of the characters who co- close combat characters brood. Lord, I, I don't know what it's called, but um, pack leader. Pack leader. Yes. And the pack leader is defense, or sorry, is armor five, but the nightmares have higher armor. So we were unsure when we were shoot, when I was shooting at that unit, which armor value would I use? Do I use the character's armor value or do I use the armor value of the thing in the unit that has the highest armor? And I guess in the rule book, it does say in a unit with, different armor values you use the highest one yeah Mm -hmm. but we couldn't find that in the rule book in the time we were like looking and and we just couldn't find it so we ended up going with using like the lowest armor we may have even rolled the dice and just picked one or whatever but that meant when his pack leader and nightmares charged my command unit of forge guard they controlled fire and i got really lucky and rolled all these fives for damage and like killed a bunch of them as they were running in, which they wouldn't have, they shouldn't have died. So would that have made a difference in the game? Probably. Yes. Uh, Maybe, maybe it's, it ends up being a draw at that point and not a victory to me, but you know, again, we were just, we were looking in the rule book and couldn't find it. So we just kind of went with, with what the TO told us to do, but a really great game. Very close, man, those veermen, when they get into close combat, whoo, they just shred. Uh, Yep really shreddy uh, he had one where it was like i'd killed everyone except for like the commander which was his if you follow his channel he was using the mac the knife model which is sort of a famous character in all his dead zone and his mac the knife model and like the uh the drone or whatever that was in that squad came in and killed killed a squad with two missile launchers so it was like we were just in our head joking with like the double knife mac the knife just going in and like murking out like the forged father missile launcher guys but Super great game. So round three, I went into, uh, which was sort of the hubbub of the tournament. And when, when we were talking a lot of balance and, and, and thoughts around lists and was Travis Tim brought his double Marauder uh, Hulk, uh, just su- our double Skyscraper Marauder Hulk list that was just so nasty. And our game really, there was like nowhere that I could deploy On the four by four, because since he won the roll, he was withholding both his Marauder units. There was nowhere on the table that I could deploy that he couldn't, with a scout move, charge me on the first turn with both those units. Because wherever I would deploy, he would just, he was holding back, he would just deploy those guys. So on that four by four table, that's something I definitely noticed. I learned really quickly that Marauders are amazing, or that skyscrapers are amazing. And I felt, on a four by four, there wasn't a lot of, I, I just was one of those moments where I didn't feel like I had a lot of agency as far as how do I combat them? You know, there's certain things in the game, which are good, but you're like, I have a strategy to deal with them. Those skyscrapers, I had no strategy. They just came in, each of them killed a unit on their first turn. So right off the bat, I'm down to two units. Um, but I know that that's, that's something that's sort of like if you listen and people realize that maybe first turn charging or stuff like that maybe is a little too good. So, you know, not to share anything that we can't share, but I wouldn't sup- be surprised. Is stuff like that on your guys' radar, Matt, during this sort of test cycle?
3: We listened to all of the things that are being mentioned online and okay. and certain things get mentioned a lot. <laughs> yes, uh,
2: Okay, good. Well, so, And that's how I feel is like, you know, um, I don't mind armies having good things because it should. That's the whole f- fun of wargaming, right? We want to bring our armies and our units that do good. And I'm not against even units that are auto-include because they're really good. That's the whole fun of the game. You just want to feel like you, you you have something to do as opposed to, oh, hmm. you go first, you charge two of my units. I only have four because I'm playing a 1,000 points of forge Fathers. And now those two units are dead. Um, you want to feel like you're both playing. Not exactly. just one of
3: you is a, a, a spectator.
2: So that game was over uh, in round three. So that was one of those uh, uh, matches that I was able to really go and look at everyone else's nicely painted firefight armies. Because my round three game was literally over in like 35 minutes, I think. What mission was it? It was the one where, um, let me check one second. Um... It was uh stop the signal where you had these D four plus one single emitters, which are objective markers that are placed on the table outside of the deployment zones. You take place, placing the single emitters uh, in your opponent's half of the board, no closer than six inches from another emitter. So basically you're placing these on your opponent's half of the board, and then you just get victory points for controlling them. So, um, yeah. You know, he just got on the objectives, but it's just like I had, like I said, I was tabled by turn three. All my stuff was just dead. I, I tried to get some damage in on those skyscrapers, but at the, with resilient and the fact that they have two damage, I just couldn't, I couldn't, they have two health. I just couldn't get the damage. And obviously too, Travis is an amazing player. So he's playing on objectives. He's doing all the, all the right things. All the right things you do, and I tried to block as much. Like I was, I was deploying behind Iron Ancestors and trying to hide stuff. And but it just, alas, poor Yurik. I knew him, Horatio. As I hold the skull of my dead, my dead Forge Fathers. But super fun game. Um, that was definitely seemed to be one of the, the a couple of the things that came up. That list was really good. And then also, Rob played against Tim Lotus. Had one of those um, recruit lists where you're uh doing the blaze away order no, you're on sixes. yeah mm. you know and he has these mm. massive units of those recruits all hitting on sixes uh which i know you know maybe that gets through the grapevine so again i'm not worried this is very much a, a first edition second edition right and we're and that's why we're having these events and learning from them and growing and and, and listening to what people are making because it's helping guide us right to what what's yeah. this first pass um but super fun event, congrats to Travis. He had the Michael Phelps of Adepticon where he ended up winning like four or five medals. He, and he like was performing in all the different Mantic games. So congrats to him. Very well deserved, well earned. But man, playing in a firefight tournament, I just had so much fun. I was happy I I I won best painted with my Forge Fathers which was really awesome. That's really what I was trying to do for the Adepticon not bring a super competitive list but bring one paint wise that had a bunch of cool stuff in it. So I was really excited for the um the Dark Fathers as I've been calling them which are the my Dark Angels inspired Forge Father color scheme. So but it was just a, a super fun event. People were having a great time. Uh, it, it lent itself to be the competitive easy to play tournament event that i hoped it would be you know even with all those new players there wasn't a lot of rules questions what there was was a little bit around deployment you know a little bit around the mixed armor values but there wasn't any sort of crazy crazy rules questions i don't think but yeah super fun event um now i know uh, Matt, you guys recently have released some really great figures, sort of taking a look at your early tournament scene in uh, the UK. So if you haven't seen those, they are on the Firefight Fanatics but I'll, I'll read us through here uh, this real quickly and maybe you know you can kind of give us what your initial thoughts so that it looks like they've taken a look at all the different factions looking at how many times is it, is it played in an event how many games is it winning how many games is it losing it's even got some data around uh, attrition losses bunch of stuff uh, really awesome information so let's just go through uh, I'll go through this real quick and then Matt let you rift on a little bit. So coming in at number one, we have Esterians oh, with a win rate of seven, 67%. Yeah, they played in five events. GCPS coming in at 59% win rate, having played in 13. Marauders at 54% with eight events uh, being played in. Or sorry, having been played. Is this For this time's played, is that how many events they've been played with or how many people have played them in events?
3: How many people have played them in events?
2: Okay, got it. Okay. So Assyrians number one, GCPS well, number two. How many?
3: Yeah. So the Mazor Labs is two people, myself and David, but the GCPS okay.
2: 13 is So it's 13 individual people have played them.
3: Thirteen events. Thirteen people at an event. So one person at two events counts twice and got it. Two people at one event count okay. twice, that makes
2: sense. So it's how many people have played that army at individual or multiple events. So it's like if I've played GCPS and I've gone to three events, that would count as 3. Yeah. Okay. So Asterians number 1, GCPS number 2, Marauders number 3, Maison Labs coming in at 50% win rate at number 4, Veermen 50% win rate, uh number 5, and then we have coming up the bottom 3, we have Plague at 38% having been played 13 times. Enforcers, 38%, seven times played. And then Forge. my Forge father's coming in, coming in, saving the best for last at 33%, having been played eight times. So let's start with you, Matt, and then we'll go to you, Kyle. What's your sort of first takeaway in looking at these rankings? Does it make sense to you? Does anything pop out? Or what do you think?
3: I think there's a massive caveat here that this is a quite small sample and it's a limited number of people that are playing these. So there's a lot to do with player skill as well as, as factions here. So I'm looking at some of these things and I think, well, Asterians have done well, but they were played at a tournament by Mark, the head of the rules committee, and he's very good. And exactly. GCPS have done yeah. very well. Um, take the um, Maison Labs, for example, they've got a 50% win rate. Well, they've been at one tournament and the person who won played Maison Labs and the person who came... Oh, was I bottom or second to bottom? Second to bottom, me was also playing on Labs. So the 50% there <laughs> is that we basically one went straight to the top, one went straight to the bottom, with uh, almost identical lists. So the there's player ability kind of kicked
2: totally. In there. Totally. Yeah.
3: You know, Davy was a lot better than me at playing them.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like Felix,
3: you look You can get a flavor from it, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You bring up a good point, right? The very small number size, very small pool. But it's just our first sort of look at numbers. So I think it's interesting to take a look at. And how you talk about Maison Labs reminds me. That was like Felix's goal when he brought Maison Labs to Adepticon was to make Maison Labs great again by losing. Uh, but he won one game, so he failed in his mission. So, so they're they're not bad enough to get buffed because Felix was able to win a game with them. So, I'm glad you're you're doing the same thing. You're, you know, one person did really well, but you got to make sure they don't get nerfed. So, you got to come in there and make sure, oh, you balance. know, yeah, balanced. Sure they're, they're balance. Um, but like you said, it's a very small sample size, and also we run into that right where sometimes people will say, "Hey, man, look." This faction keeps winning. The faction is overpowered, but then you're like, well, who's winning with that faction? Well, it's so and so. It's like, well, remember when he was winning last year playing another faction? You know, so player skill does matter a lot. But what about you, Kyle? Anything jump out at you in looking at this this sort of how the armies are sort of doing in this limited limited uh, data set?
1: Yeah, like like Matt, you know, Matt said it's it's not a significant enough amount of numbers from a truly random random sample to give you something you can dig your teeth into and go number crunch, <laughs> trigonometry and stuff too. But I think the the one piece of information here that I do think is something you can base a little bit off of is the average event kills and average event losses, and then the uh, attrition mm. difference between the two, because that is actually a bit more of a Truly random sample, I guess you can say, and and a bit more average across the board. And like the one real outlier, uh, besides Asterians, who, as Matt mentioned, is played by one person who is on the RC and very good. So it's kind of a a throw out that whole line, I would say, just because there's not enough variability there. But the plague, their win rate is 38%. But I think the the big difference compared to everything else is uh, they're negative almost 1250 in points killed to points lost and i always thought from the get-go playing this game that plague is like the hardest faction to get going yes you really like you really need to use smoke well and it's a almost purely close combat army and there's certain art, like units you really need to have a plan for and this early in the game it makes total sense to me that plague is having a hard time on that kill differential because you have to sacrifice pieces on the way up to then get your big bad monsters in to, to go touch stuff the bad way. So it um and I'm super curious a year from now, as we get more data from the UK and the United States and other places that are playing it in tournament styles, how much this chart changes.
3: I think that plague is also very related to the people that are playing it. So you know, there's two plague players that, that spring to mind. One is Rusty. Rusty Shackleford. It's a brilliant player. He's a br- he's a good he's a good gamer, but he's he's a he's a, he's a hobby chap. You know. Oh yeah, he's a really great, he's a great
2: painter. Very unique style.
3: Yeah, amazing cartoony style that he does. Yeah. Um, he decided that he liked leapers, and he liked leapers leaping over other leapers. Um, <laughs> so all of his leaders are a <laughs> like, leaper <laughs> So he just, everything is leaper for him. He was never intending to take a super refined list. So he just took what he liked and bless him. He's not won a huge number of games, but he's enjoyed himself. It hasn't helped to kill the attrition thing. And the other person who's playing it is um, Ian Davis of the, um, the dead zone rules committee. And I think he came, if you, if I ever post a game that I've lost, he will always post play the mission, play the mission. And that's what he does. He doesn't care about his army. His army means nothing to him. He, wins a fair number of games but he does it by getting such a lead of victory points that the fact that you killed him makes no difference so he doesn't do good for the attrition numbers Mm -hmm. but a lot of those wins are his okay
2: yeah because if you look at them it's the the fact if you go down the thing it's a faction that's been played 13 times with uh, 15 wins, 4 draws, and 20 losses. And what draws tell me is that, again, is someone turning a loss into a draw by playing the scenario, maybe too. And it's the faction that has the most draws. So I think that speaks to if people piloting that list are really playing towards the scenario, it would make sense that maybe you see more draws in that in that sample of, uh, mm-hmm. of games. Uh, but like you said, uh, uh, still a small sample size, but I think it is it is interesting to sort of rift on this, you know, of this first sort of uh, look at the numbers. But yeah, like uh, like Kyle said, not a lot killed, a lot being killed. But still, fifth, you know, still a, a, a fair amount of wins, a good amount of uh, draws. I'm interested what type of lists... Um, at that uh, GCPS, because when you look at times played, GCPS is tied with the plague for having been played thirteen times. So it's a little bit larger of a sample set with them. 23, uh, 23 games won, one draw, with fifteen games lost. Who are do you know what types of lists people are playing within that GCPS pool?
3: Yeah, there's a there's been a fair few GCPS players. There's Richard from the rules committee. Um, and he plays with a lot of recruits, a lot of Marines. Um, he puts a lot of bodies on the board. Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he's he's aware that if you roll a knife dice, it doesn't matter, you know, AP, stuff like that. if you roll a knife dice, you will kill everything. Um, and then he obviously uses um, riot troopers um, and mules and striders, whereas the other chaps that are playing their lists are a bit more a little of everything. They'll get a few heavy weapons teams They'll have a few mules, some snipers. Um Everybody seems to include the forward observer. He seems to be pretty
2: popular. You know, yeah.
3: Yeah. Pretty mm-hmm. popular. So um yeah, that, that, that faction is perhaps a more even spread of types of armies, I think.
2: And I do think the bodies is interesting because what, uh, what points level are have the majority of these games been played at?
3: They've all been around the thousand points, a little over, okay. a little under. And see, that makes I mean, sense. Probably for not me. over, actually.
2: Yeah, when playing against Kyle in our test games, I was playing Forge Fathers, which is on the bottom of this list, against Kyle playing GCPS. And what I noticed at that lower points value, he just had so many more bodies than me. He was able to play to the scenario so much better. And then I just couldn't kill enough. I could not kill enough of his stuff so that by the end of the game, I could play the scenario against him. And he had enough stuff that he could kill my stuff so that it's just mission-wise, it was really difficult to play against. So I don't know. Mm. I mean, do you think at certain points levels, certain factions are just better at that thousand point? level matt what do you think about uh, about balance in the game but balance in the game at different points levels
3: i think it's got much to do with table size as it's got to do with points levels yeah if you can flood a very small area then you know it's going to be hard to, to clear them off i think you look at the forge fathers you know they're bottom of that list Yeah, of the four tournaments i run forge fathers won one of them so they've gotcha. won a quarter of my tournaments uh-huh. um it just so that, and you know that player took um, quite a few tanks with the the order that used to allow you to to heal the tanks and things like that. And he, he was what that was one of those games where people just couldn't touch him. They could kill everything around it, but those tanks just survived to the end all the time. So I think it's one of the one of the things where sheer weight of dice still struggles when the probabilities are tiny, but against most other people, you know. Dice win. Dice,
1: dice the, so you're saying even, even weight of dice and probability are no match in the face of mighty space dwarves. Hell yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Kyle Kyle just went from six to midnight, you know. He Take just that, like, dice gods, <laughs> I spit on you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that is one thing I've noticed too with Forge fourth forge fathers, and, and I saw it at Adepticon. If I was playing against the list that didn't have a tool to deal with my armor. There was nothing that they could do. They couldn't kill any. They couldn't kill anything that I had. It was just mm. my stuff is so tough. My shooting is so effective that I could see how in certain matchups that the list does do really well. But against the people who did have tools to deal with my stuff, I had such limited stuff that that they had to deal with. That once it was dealt with, I was just like, okay, I don't have much left to do. So
3: when a Forge mother tank could get to armor nine. Um, which means you're halving your dice if you haven't got any AP. Yeah. And it's got the heavy armour. Suddenly the the probabilities drop through the floor. In a small army, it, it's conceivable that you've only got a few sources of anti tank, which means it becomes a little bit of rock paper scissors as the fourth rather player attempts to kill off the anti tank quickly. And in yes. a thousand points, that might only be one or two units. You play at fifteen hundred points then suddenly it's harder to kill off all their anti-tank before they have a go. You think somebody could have two goes at the beginning of the game, they could conceivably kill off two units of anti-tank stuff, and that could be game over. You can still only have two goes at the beginning of a 1500-point game, so you can still only kill two units, best-case scenario, but the enemy's more likely to have backup and redundancy and those kind of things. So, yes, I think the little games can skew
2: things. And that's and that was been my sense too in, in, in both the Adepticon tournament and also just like theory crafting and playing test games and starting to get into it that I think that there are some things like I just don't feel like the game is meant to be played on a four by four at a 1000 points. It feels too much like things are decided before the game on some level before the game gets going. So as we sort of still exist within this infancy, and let's start with you, Kyle, as we're looking at these numbers and everything. I know we talked a little bit about what we felt maybe would be a good tournament points level. What do you think? Are you still thinking like 1,500, 2,000? Or where are you now having got more games in as far as what you think a game that can be completed in a two-hour round or two-and-a-half-hour round? Where are you now points-wise, are you thinking?
1: Well, I think like um, there's pretty good timeline set by kings of war tournaments all these years and generally most kings of war tournaments are doing was it two hours and 10 minutes per uh for both players combined yes it's the standard and yeah most of the time people are going through that and and firefight a lot of the time people burn in kings of war is sitting there thinking their whole army through right moving angles and checking arcs and can can i can i not go there uh in firefight you don't have that fiddly part uh, to check. So I think you can play a bigger game or even a same size game and easily in that time. And I mean, you could chess clock it, but I don't think firefight really needs a chess clock. Um, So two hours per round for 1500 points seems fine. I think I, I've yet to play a 2000 point game, but I think you can get 2000 point game with competent players and like a, in a more developed tournament scene, 2000 points should be easy to do in a two hour timeframe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something to test out of course obviously uh so if you were thinking about it run a firefight tournament <laughs> let us know what
2: happens <laughs> okay. yeah and i know you, you've run some events now and you guys have a little bit more um robust scene starting for firefight in the uk well, share your thoughts matt where are you as far as round time and point size you think like where are you guys growing towards do you think
3: I think it's it's an interesting one because it's not just about us working out what's best. It's about us working out what's best for the community at the point at which we did it. So what's appropriate now would not have been appropriate in that first tournament. People didn't have armies painted. They weren't, you know, experienced at the game. I think 2,000 points might take too long. I, I played a game fortnight ago, 2,000 points, and it took us quite a long time. Okay. To be fair, we were both playing with lists we weren't used to, but, but still. So I don't know. I think it needs to be bigger than 1,000. Smaller than 2000. So, 1300, 1500, I'd like to try some. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, everything's been, at least everything that I've run. You know, I've not run all the tournaments. I've only run just under half of them, I think. Um, But I think some of the, I don't think the others have been massively big tournaments either, points wise. So, yeah, 1300, 1500, somewhere in that ilk. Yeah. I'd like to see.
2: I'm feeling when I'm making lists and I'm thinking about, about from like a hobby perspective what what is an what does an army get me excited to paint or whatever i think that 1500 point i feels good to me because in my list i have some of this i got some of that i got stuff from column a i got stuff from column b i got some cool vehicles i got i feel like i'm at, at that 1500 point limit i'm able to get um i still feel like i have to make choices in list design but i but i have that feeling when I'm making like a 2,300-point King's Army where I'm able to get into the list all of the cool stuff that I want to bring. I think at 1,500, I, I, I feel that. But I think round times, I just think that two hours to two hours and 10 minutes, I think that's just a really nice, tight, reasonable round time. So I think that's one thing we can learn from the King's community is usually that I think that's just a solid round time. So now it's like trying, like you said, what sort of list size can work within that, but also like where are you with your players. Like I think if Adepticon had run a bigger tournament, it would have been there would have been a lot of issues. So I think running the thousand points for that event, even though in the greater scheme of balance maybe, but for that event it made perfect sense, right? To run an yeah. event at that size.
3: Hmm. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying King, that Firefight doesn't work on smaller scales. It works really well. But tournaments are where people can get a bit more competitive. Um and I think that's where if you're going to find imbalances, that's where it's going to start to be seen. So, you know, it's like, um, ambush and, and small size games of Kings of war are brilliant. They're brilliant because I can play them really quickly in an evening. I can get a few games in, I can play on my dining room table, which is quite small. I can teach new players that don't have lots of new stuff. And I've done ambush tournaments as well. We've run a couple of ambush tournaments, which are great fun because you've got like loads of games in one day. Um, but it's not the norm. It's not the kind of standard tournament size.
2: And I completely agree with you. I mean, when Kyle and I were practicing at riddle, we played three games in an evening, like back to back to back to back at a thousand points. I think that's a great points level to learn how to play the game. You can play a game through three or four rounds. And then if it's already decided at that point, you can just re rack and play again. And that's sort of what Mm -hmm. Kyle and I, we were just like pounding through games, pounding through missions. Uh, so I completely agree with you that, uh, different points levels are good for different things. So that thousand points is good for teaching. I mean, and that's the points level I use when I taught my friend how to play this last weekend and he still had enough guys to understand, you know, these guys are faster. These are my anti-tank guys. These are my anti-infantry guys still to get sort of the, the sense of how the game is played. I think you can still get that at a thousand points. So what would you say? I'm curious In this sort of community of people going to your firefight events, do you have in Kings of War, you know, when we're looking at tournament goers, we have some hobby guys, we have guys to try to make the harder, more competitive lists, we have the people who just love taking things because that's what they love to take. Would you say your is your firefight community? So sort of growing around around those same lines where you have different people on the sort of competitive bell curve, there's people all along that bell curve? Definitely.
3: I mean, to a large extent, they're the same people. Um, Yeah. A lot of, lot of, especially our earlier people that came to our tournaments were people that came to our Kings of War tournaments. Um, So you've got you've got all those same things. You've got the the competitive Kings of War players are quite often the competitive firefight players. The the really hobby based Kings of War players are often the hobby based firefight players. The, the The main difference is that there are there were a couple of people who were very competitive in kings of war but especially at the beginning firefights did a nice break for them it was an ability to paint a tank which they hadn't done in, in years um so i think there were a few people that took the opportunity to do a bit more hobbyish than they would normally have been
2: oh interesting which was nice yeah that's cool
3: um but don't get me wrong there are some people that come to these tournaments and you know they sat and they've gone through the lists and they, they worked out what was optimal. And then they did their best to win every single game. So yeah, there, there's there's all sorts of, yeah. all types of players.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned it, like that's the one thing, having done the, having played Asterians a few times with, uh, uh, with Kyle and Tyler and just sort of in my early, that was the first army I was working on. And then we did the Asterian army review. It really does not surprise me. My sense on that army was that it's a high skill cap army that that army when played by someone who's very good could be a really devastating army because you have so many interactive orders of how you manage your shields, how do you do your teleport charging, you have a lot of stuff that's engaging that if it, it is maybe not as newer player friendly but is a, an army that if you like that depth or you want to have an army that you can grow with skill wise, that astarians would fit that role. I mean, is that sort of where you see them you know, at the top of this list, Matt, is that it is an army that, when when piloted by a, a top level player, can be really, really, it's really nice army. army, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah, and I think I think the same, but in the opposite direction goes for the enforcers. There's there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, the enforcers are brilliant. The enforcers can't be beaten. They're really, really tough. They're amazing." Um, and I've I've taken enforcers to tournaments and come second twice and I've also taken them to tournaments and and come flat last. And I've come to the conclusion that what makes the forces look really good to begin with is that they're quite forgiving when you're quite new at the game. So everything does everything reasonably well. The orders allowed you to do lots of things. They were quite fast. You could redeploy quite nicely. You didn't get stuck with oh I've got no commander near them. I can't give them an order because they've all got advanced training and stuff. So I think they were quite and 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 you can get a unit almost wiped out, but then you heal it back again with medics. So yeah. they felt like a list that you could make a few mistakes, get away with it, come back. Astyrians feel like a list that if you make a mistake, you're going to get punished.
2: Big time. But if you yeah. don't
3: make any mistakes, if you manage to get everything in the right place with all your things overlapping and stuff like that, then it can be very, very powerful. But if you take it wrong, you're gonna you're gonna look at that list and think, well, they're really weak.
2: Well, as I know, as Kyle knows from being his, his second favorite snack uh, beyond uh, multiple waffles is uh, Chroma Battle Tanks, which, which I learned is... real, real quick that if you don't manage your shields correctly uh, or hide stuff or whatever, Asterion, a lot of your stuff is very fragile. But if you maximize your shields and you know when to replenish them and when to spend orders and you're using all your stuff, that army can be really powerful. But I think it's interesting as we're trying to get new players into this. I think it's good to sort of have an idea on my army reviews or on our army reviews. We talk a little bit about like elevator pitches. And I think that is something for the enforcers, which is a good pitch, which is, is a good faction to start off with because it's got a lot of elements that are new player friendly. Whereas maybe Asterians would not be the faction you would want someone to start off with. Mm-hmm. But if someone loves the finesse gameplay style, then here is a faction for you to fit that play style
3: forces suits the starter set really well, yeah. You know, because you can take what comes in that starter set, you can make a list, um, and you can have quite a lot of fun with it quite quickly. You're not like if you get halfway through the game and think, "Oh God, why did I do that? I can't win now; it's totally lost." Because you can you can come back from it.
1: Yeah, exactly. The Marauders, I mean the resilient one is so. Uh, I, I am. Way below what average should be on re- resilient rerolls, <laughs> and I think it's it's a universal thing. So they're both I think they're both great armies to pick for the starter mm-hmm. set because you can pick up the, both those armies and do well enough, especially against somebody who's learned the rules with you, and not have these huge like, well, you played that wrong and turn two, get screwed kind of kind of armies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think resilient is really powerful. The more that I play against it, I think it is. The more you can force your opponent to roll dice. You know, especially if you're armored, you know, five, six, or seven. Like even the fo- Forge Guard, when you can get people to reroll stuff against you, it's just it's it's a really uh, uh, a powerful rule to use correctly because things do die so fast in firefight. If you can hedge against that death in any way you can, you know, it's good. It's quite a good
3: leveler because if something was going to wound you anyway, Brazilian has very little impact. You know, if they if they're wounding you on twos. Because they got so much AP and they got vicious or something, resilient means no difference. They're going, they're going to get it again the second time. What it kind of negates is some of that huge weight of fire type things, where they're rolling a huge number of dice, and then the eights sneak through. Well, then you make them re-roll those, and they have got to get an eight again or seven again. You know that that's when it becomes quite quite powerful. So, and I think because I'm looking at this thing. Ooh, lots of shots is doing well resilient helps balance that out it's quite it's quite
2: nice yeah very interesting um and some of the factions just haven't been played that much like you said uh we have uh both sides of the coin uh of the mazon labs we got one of the side of the coin on us with us you know it's only been played a few times whereas other factions plague gcps right both those factions have been played a lot more. Asterians are on top of the list, but have only been played a handful of times, like you said, by an by, uh, uh, excellent pilot. So, again, these numbers are very much a super small sample set. And n- we're not trying to say at all that they are uh, uh, you know, completely... Uh, um, you know, indicating of where the factions are at power wise. But I think it just is is as we're starting to get some numbers, I think it is a little interesting to just to just look at the how hmm. things are starting to shake out a little bit.
3: And there's a little bit that a good player chooses a list that suits them. So I mean the, the Asterians haven't just been played by Mark. They've also been played by uh, Chris Kristofstan and Chris Coburn at least uh, two other ones. And Chris Coburn won the the first ever tournament, the Northern Kings, that first tournament the Northern Kings ran. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a few players, but Chris Coburn's a good player. Yes. Um, And Mark's a good player. So they knew, obviously knew what to do with them.
2: So where do we we think, and I'll go with you first, Kyle, where do we think in looking at this, if you were to give me the, the Kyle Timberlake fight me internet, power rankings, what do you put as your sort of top three, just all things equal power uh, ranking for factions?
1: Well, first of all, we all know the Asterians being the top win rate is fake news spread (laughs) by elf propagandists to Uh uh, dissuade the true overlords of the win percentage, which was forge fathers.
2: By all the caliches, right? The Kaleishis, Kaleishis they they use their
1: sexy dancing (laughs) things to, you know, intimidate the council uh forest fathers number one obviously Can't obviously get past that uh after that um i i think enforcers are probably a top three faction they're really popular right now because it's in the starter set and things like that but as people get used to them more and they're, they get better the combinations i think they'll pop through because they kind you know just like any other elite army they have that ability to pop through yeah and then after i honestly think mazon labs has a good chance of of peeking through cuz they they do stuff in a different way and they have kind of tools from plague and gcps but they have their own twist to things um i i think you know th- those would be the ones to keep an eye on um it's just, i don't know it, it's it's so difficult to go off this chart and and it's just like what what, what do people want to play is what actually the the true answer mm-hmm. the people who really want to play tournaments so what armors are they going to take it's probably going to end up that way you know, it just it's like going back. to I was listening to the uh, Abyssal Dwarf episode for Kings of War. Yeah, and like they were the boogeyman forever, and then recently they're not. And it's and they're kind of like, oh, because they're not as good. Like I don't think Abyssal Dwarves are a bad faction. I think people were just were playing a lot of Abyssal Dwarves, and then a lot of good players were like I'm gonna do something else. and They just switched off them. It wasn't that the army list became bad or it wasn't playable. It's just they went to different factions, and all of a sudden those factions are good now. Because it's not it's necessarily.
2: Yeah, it's like what we were talking about, right? It's that that uh, good players make uh, armies that are okay, great, and good yeah. armies. They make them amazing. So it's yeah. a lot of it is the pilot behind the
1: list. Yeah, I think yeah. So so do do an interview of, or do a uh, uh a Gallup poll of your local best players. What are you playing? Those are the top three, to be honest. <laughs> These
2: are the probably the people who are going to be winning events. Whatever whatever yeah. they bring, and I think it's true. Like you look at the top ten from the Adepticon Clash of Kings. Or you look at the top 10, uh, you know, coming up at lone wolf and it's probably going to be, you're not going to really care about what, what the factions are. You're going to look, you're going to look at the names of the players playing, right? And it's probably going to be the names that you think should be there no matter what army they're playing because those players are playing at a, at a high level. Um, what is your sense, Matt? I mean, I think one thing I've noticed, I don't think there's any factions, uh, I think you could win with, with all the factions, but is there anything sort of on your radar right now that you think maybe if, the, if we had like an S plus tier or maybe a handful of factions, you think maybe would fit in that sort of upper echelon? Do you have an opinion on that at all?
3: I have an opinion. I'm not sure I should really be saying it. The thing is, I know what we're working on. I know what we're going to gotcha. change. And I don't want to give away too many. Okay, that's but it. But I think at the moment... I think it really does come down to some of the players at the moment. I think that's why that list looks the way it is. The yes. top the, the, the S tier factions are the ones played by the the really good players. Um, Got it. And there's been some really good players that have played. Yeah. Um, people that you know from Kings of War, when you sort of see Nick Williams turn up to a tournament, you know that he's gonna do well with the faction that he's chosen.
2: Totally, totally. Um, and I'm looking, I may be purchasing his Night Stalker army to to live in the West Coast as he's getting as he's getting uh selling off some of his Kings of War stuff. And I've been loving seeing his uh firefight all I mean, he's such a great hobbyist, so I've been loving seeing his mm. firefight armies. And I think that's you bring up a good point, which is one of the things I love about Mantic Games is that you have rules committees who are listening to their committee and you know, are playtesting to make a better version of the game. So and I know that that's stuff you can't speak to because of NDAs and you don't want Ronnie showing up at your house with like a Friday the 13th mask and a chainsaw uh, uh to take you out so but it's nice to know that you guys are aware of what's happening in the scene and are are taking a look at are there any outliers or any stuff that we need to we need to work right. on
3: we're aware of the scene but we're also aware of people that aren't tournament gamers and we want their feedback as well. That's you know, exactly that's the reason we've got all our forms and stuff. We, we we need we need more data, lots of data if we can yeah. do this properly.
2: And I think for a game to exist, it needs to be fun for all all different types of players. A game can't exist and have a robust community if it's only being played by min-maxers. I think you need people at all the sort of different skill level entry points playing a game to have as robust a scene as you can. So I think that's good to try to look through that perspective of not just not just making the game for one type of player, but trying to can we make this game fun for all sorts of different types of players. Hmm. So I have one question That's for true. you. Um, you guys also posted a UK player rank, and just to give them a shout out, I'm just going to quickly go through the top ten players. We have coming in at number one, we have David Fletcher, followed by Ian Davies, uh, Richard is it Lakin Lakin Richard Lakin. Yeah. Um, and then I, th- that's you coming in at, at number four, I think, <laughs>
3: yeah, uh, uh-huh. uh, you know,
2: making make RC stuff just so you can win. I can see how it is. Uh, and i hiding behind the fact that you, you're losing with Maison labs, but we, we, we know who the real winner is. Uh, and then Mr. Danny Graves, Ian Roger adam dennis and number seven callum uh what is how do you pronounce his last name i but, don't
3: know i just called him callum
2: <laughs> okay callum no uh I, I i apologize with my colony pronunciation that i do not say your name correctly please forgive me and then mr matt g and then nick williams coming in at number 10th but can you speak to me a little bit i see you guys are doing ranking points are you guys going to be doing sort of like a season or our hold a master's type of events or where where's sort of the those ranking points coming from
3: that that's an interesting one because it's going into the companion and some stuff's already gone into the companion and um elliot's put it in there this was what we did when it wasn't in romantic companion because you know elliot's got a huge amount of work He's doing, you know that that bloke's sort of juggling so many things. He's done such a brilliant job with the Magic Companion. So we did this to try and work out what it looked like. So um, Nick Williams helped me go through and apply a, uh, a rankings formula to all of the players. It's not necessarily exactly the same one that's used in the Companion, and that will become our main one. But the whole point of what he's done is it's filterable so you can filter it by the uk and you'll just better look at the uk rankings but once we've got other countries in as well you could do a world ranking or you could just filter it by the us or you could filter it by spain or or wherever people are playing i mean at the moment some of the uk players are going to do well just because they've literally been to more tournaments than anybody else and that that list you went through you look at the players who are high up there there's some people that are high up there because they win a lot of games and there are some people that are high out there like me, because they've just been to a lot of tournaments. I've been to five tournaments. Um, So, you know, and as you only take the top four for your ranking points, I can basically ignore one of my losses. Yeah. Um, and I could just look at the good tournaments. Um, So how that's going to even out now say, how long's the season going to be? That's another tricky one because you could draw a line after a year, but that'd be really soon. And, it still feels like the tournaments that are happening now are that first batch, if that makes sense. Um, and there's not enough to cut it into very small seasons. So I don't know whether we'll end up doing two years for the first season or, or a year and a half or something. Um, I mean, that's that's as much up to, to Elliot, Mantig and the other TOs to decide.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, would the end idea be some sort of like you 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 can win maybe an award or 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 get invited to a tournament, or is the idea maybe someday down the road to have the rankings points sort of mean something or or lead players somewhere? Or have you guys thought about that at all?
3: Do you know? I'm not sure at the moment. I wasn't in the, the the very early Kings of War scene, so I don't know in that first edition what was happening i came into kings of war sort of mid early to mid second edition and there was already a ranking system there was masters there was all of those sorts of things i don't know how it started i don't think at the moment there's perhaps enough of us to do if you took the best 20 players and you put them all in a tournament you would have nearly all of the players the regular players who would be going to, to any,
2: any tournament yeah yeah,
3: yeah. Um, and I suppose at the moment if you're taking US players and you're putting them in rankings as well then you've got a situation where you literally couldn't be in the same room because there's a, an ocean in the way um, yeah. so I don't know where it's going to go I think we need to do a few more tournaments it's interesting at the moment to see what people are doing so you know, there's been some tournaments that have been very trying to go all in, very optimistic You know, a big tournament, multiple days and stuff. And then it's been tricky um, because it's hard to tell whether is it, <laughs> it's that tricky question. Do you do the build it and they will come? Do you build up your tournament scene slowly? at the speed that the game is improving. Or do you just go, no, we're gonna go in and we're gonna make stuff that's as big and as brash and as bold as a Kings of War tournament from a scene that's got years behind it and see if it fills. And I don't know which is the right answer. It could be either.
2: So no, you, you and you asked some great questions, right? Which is some of the answer to those those questions, I feel like that's what we're figuring out, right? Right now mm. by by running these events is trying to find what, you know, what what is the sort of beach to land on.
3: You know, we're still answering questions like, which what missions make a good tournament mission? How do you do a scoring system? You know, you, you turn up to a Kings of War tournament, and we use our Kings of Hearts system, and a couple of other tournaments do. People use the Northern Kings, one Blackjack. You know, there's there's set systems of Bull shroud. There's set systems out there, and there's quite a few to choose from. Making something work with Firefight's been trickier. You know, most systems will do something where they'll use victory points as a way of breaking ties between players because you can't just go and win losses and draws. But at the moment, you can have a mission where you can get a lot of victory points and a mission where you can't get many at all. Um, And depending on which game you get your easier game on could then affect your outcome. So I think most tournaments, if not all tournaments so far, have only used kills or attrition or some some version of that. And I've done a, been chatting to to Nick and Elliot about trying to sort uh, a a scoring system not not a rules committee thing not a the rules because a lot of a lot of what we do when we go to tournaments in kings of war we forget isn't actually the official document you know i i will set up a, a kings of war tournament and i will use our scoring system which has nothing to do with Mantic. i will use the epic dwarf map pack um, there are certain things that are just kind of accepted and they've developed over the years. of This is how a Kings of War tournament is run. And then we need to work out well, what does the firefight version of that look like? How much yes. of that Mantic going to take over? How much is going to be left in the community? What are the TOs going to do? Who's going to be the first person to bring out a score system that works? I know Nick's had some brilliant ideas and it's had some good ideas. We'll get there. I just don't quite know where there is yet.
2: Yeah. And that's okay, right? We're very much in this, the infancy of this. Game Right. And we're learning all these things because I did notice that in Adepticon at that take and hold scenario, which is progressive scenario. I think by the end of that game, I had like 38 victory points and my opponent had 12. So if that's Hmm. like uh, if if the victory point is a tiebreaker, then that means that like in that progressive scenario, I had a good matchup. So then my victory point for tiebreakers got really skewed, you know, Hmm. based on that mission. So I think as we sort of figure out how to run events and like what, uh, uh, not only have we talked about point size, map, uh, board size, et cetera, the scenarios and the scoring, that's a whole nother level that we forget. Sometimes that's been growing and brewing and percolating in Kings of war now for five years, you know, mm. whereas Firefight's So brand new, we just haven't had, you know, it's still, it's still so young in developing that side of, of competitive
1: play
3: yeah and, and mantic and the rules committee will provide some of that you know we can make good admissions we can look at missions if people you know there's some that are brilliant there are some that are brilliant but from a narrative point of view that wouldn't suit tournaments so we can look at that side of it but i think there's going to be a community side of this it's going to be a tournament organizers getting together and saying i want to do this and we might not all agree you know it. it there isn't one scoring system that's used across all tournaments. And even as somebody who's written a scoring system, there are bits of other people's that I like more than I like mine, but then I like other elements of mine. And and I, I don't think there is a perfect, perfect solution. So one of the nice things about the tournament scene is that you can go to different tournaments and they're all a little bit different. They're not just all carbon copies of each other. You don't come along and see exactly the same terrain in exactly the same places. Although the, the map packs and stuff mean that it's all within a realm of, of acceptableness and you don't get the same scoring systems. You don't see the same missions all the time. So it, it, you know, it's a variety, even if you end up seeing the same chaps that you saw at the last three tournaments, every single one is different. So.
2: No, and that makes sense. You know, we talk a lot about it in the King scene is that if we, if all the tournaments were exactly the same, it would be boring. Right. So we have mm. some tournaments that are more straight from the book We have some tournaments that have more narrative flavor in in the the scenarios. Some tournaments are known for people bringing really nice hobby armies to. So really that diversity and the types of events that you have helps, I think, uh, play into the overall health of the system. That You wouldn't want to go to every single tournament to be exactly the same. It's good to have difference there.
3: Mm. And as the scene ages, things change. So you talk about hobby and stuff like that. In our first tournament, the only hobby reward we had was for a single model, if we even had that, because most people hadn't had time to paint their armies yet, whereas now we're at the point where we can actually do an army award, because the last tournament I ran, I think all but one army was totally painted, and Mm -hmm. and there was a real competition for who was best painted.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, and there's a lot of full Mantic armies as well, which is really nice to see.
2: Yeah, well, I think starting with that sort of from scratch, like here's here's the game system. We, you know, uh, 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 Mantic itself, and then also I think a lot of us are realizing that we love this game system, and for game systems to work and to have more models, got to be sold. So I think Firefight is beginning from that a little bit less from the miniature agnostic area and more with the the expectation or expect uh or a hope that people would be buying mantic models is that sort of, maybe speak a little bit to that um you know i know this the the system the scene is new right so it's always good to be more open in the beginning but is your hope and sort of where you guys are going to to see majority of mantic models and mantic armies at your guys events
3: i think yeah i mean you, you're always going to have the old thing where people, someone's had a brilliant idea. I'm going to go and use this. This is going to be my amazing conversion. And everyone's going to go, "Oh, that's brilliant! I've never seen that before." Um, <sighs> you're going to see some particular clever person who's gone and bought a load of female heads, and they're going to put onto some GCPS people. Oh and they're yes, going make, <laughs> they're going to make some cool, new-looking army. So yeah, it's nice to have that little bit of freedom. the The, the term "miniature agnostic" was a difficult one when applied to Kings of War because it it wasn't a an osprey game. It was always a game made by a company that made miniatures. There always was a miniature line. It was kind of more miniature tolerant than miniature yeah. agnostic, and I think you know everybody is still tolerant. I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's going to turn up to a tournament with a non-mantic army and be told to sit in the corner and and shunned. Um, but what's interesting and what I like is that the vast majority of armies that have come to the tournament have been mostly, if not all, Mantic miniatures, which is why it's going to Mantic. And it's a fact that if we want the plastic kits that Kings of War are getting at the moment, um, Mantic need to know that Firefight is financially sound. Um, And if all we ever did was bought a rule book, then there's no reason for Mantic to invest in in new miniatures and, and cool stuff. Whereas if we're buying the models, then perhaps we'll get the cool new models yeah
2: that's how i've always felt if you like what a company is doing support that company and Mm. i think that we were talking about this on after dark the other night i think that as mantic has grown there is you would be hard pressed to tell me that there isn't one of mantic's game systems that has in that game system an army that you would enjoy painting you know, I mean, if if you can't quite find a Kings of War, try Armada or whatever. So I think they, you know, as their models have gotten better and better, I think there are more opportunities now to find something that you that you love. Mm. Uh, and that, Because I, I get it. You don't want to spend months and months and months painting an army that you don't dig the models. I mean, you spend yeah. so much time, right, painting. You want to be connected emotionally to the, the story of your army and the models that you're making. But in the end, if we want more cool stuff for the games that we like, the company itself has got to sell the stuff. Companies don't exist just to give us free things that we love. <laughs> you know, mm. they, they gotta pay people's salaries and buy food and, and pay for rent. You know, you know, it's like they gotta make some money.
3: I think so you're right. can... the balance there is Mantic needs to provide models that we want to buy and we're happy buying, and we don't yes. feel that like we're
2: doing it because we have to.
3: And you look at some of those, those new ogres. You know, I've had a desperate urge now to paint slightly Egyptian-looking skeleton people because those models look really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the models coming out, which are really good.
2: Yeah, I always yeah, felt so... like you know, back in the day, you would be like, okay, I'm going to pay my Mantic tax and do a full Mantic army because I want to support the company. But I think mm. that has grown now. And, and, and I think they tried to listen to the community being like, we want to buy your guys' stuff, but your job as a company in that contract with me as your client or your customer, you got to make models that are good enough that I want to buy. Mm. You know, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta happen both ways. We as customers can't just invest in the company that we love just to help them out. I mean, we have to also, we be wanting to buy the stuff that you're making. And I think Mantic's side of that is like, okay, well, we're going to invest in trying to make better plastics, more in plastic, you know, up our resin game, I mean, the new Twilight Kin stuff is looking amazing. If you haven't checked out the Dungeon Origins Kickstarter, there's a bunch of sort of the, the you see a little bit of where the new Twilight Kin are going through that Kickstarter, and they look amazing. I mean, I've been working on their Empire of Dust line. I think their Empire of Dust line is great, you know. And we're we're first as a show to say, you know, w- when something gets released that we don't like. We'll say we don't like it, you know, and when we've had Ronnie on the, on the show before we've, we've been uh, uh, felt free to, to provide critiques when critiques are, are warranted. But I think in general, they are making a lot of strides and making cool models. So, and that's one of the things I love about firefight. I think their firefight range has been great for a long time, but it's been sort of under the radar and now since more people are playing firefight they're seeing all these great models and den zone i think it's a it's a line of models that has a lot there to explore
3: yeah and they you know through that that first kickstarter i think a lot of money was put into those um those moles to make those those first set of miniatures and they've got to make their money back um before mantic can start investing lots into into new stuff um but they're good. So I don't feel it's not an embarrassment to put them on the table. I think Mantic have always been very good at their designs. I've always liked their designs, even, even the tiny little leg trolls. I like them. I've got soft spot for them. And I, I get the impression that Ronnie's gets more and more relieved every time there's an improvement in the production and he can look at it and go, yeah, that's more like what we designed. That's more like what we intended. Yeah. Um, you, know, you you can see him beaming when he holds up the um, those 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 um ogres that were coming out of yeah. the factory because they were they you look at what was designed what comes of it and they looked like it. and it's that like, oh, it was so close we did a good design but it's just not what we hoped.
2: Yeah, you want you want your end product to be in line with what the vision was during like the genesis, the creative part of the plan. When you're saying this is what it's going to be, now how do we deliver on that? So. Um, And for me, I think there's something to be said about you want to take part in a game system where people are using the models for that game. And I totally respect all of the people who play Kings of War because they love being able to 3D print and be super creative and come up with great armies. Like, I don't want to take anything away from those people because you should be able to do what you want to do. What I want to see is all those people who have amazing 3D armies, I want them in their collection to have at least one Mantic Army. You know what I mean? Like you don't have Mm. to do, you know, have one to have one and want to have one. Right. And not just do it because they were like, I'm going to do my community service and buy a Mantic army. I want Mantic Mm. to be making models that are so cool and and armies that are so great that you want to do it. It's not just like, I got to do this because I want to support the company. And for many of us, it's because I've met Ronnie. I mean, what other game companies can uh, so many players say? Oh yeah. I met the owner of the company. You know, you, you want to do it because you love the models and you're and they're good value and all those reasons and i think that we're moving in that direction right maybe we're not exactly there yet but i feel like you know slowly but surely maybe one step back two steps forwards or three steps forwards one step back or whatever i think the inertia of our mantic hobby is we're moving towards an area where there's tons of kick-ass models and great game systems and um i think we're on a good pa- a, a good track i feel like we're following we're following the treasure map to the x marks the spot on um, we're just maybe not quite there but i feel like we're going in the right direction
3: mm. and i think at the moment flights bun plastics that with some resin and i love I Mantics resin is good um yeah. it's time consuming for them but it's good and i think you put that resin on the plastics and you get some great models i've just painted a load of the the riot troopers, I'm using these containment troopers My Maison Labs. They yeah. were really nice models. Nice. They were really nice. They were based on the that plastic kit. So the more that plastic kit can be used, but be used in a way that makes it very different from where it started. You know, you hold up a riot trooper and you hold up a GCPS Marine, and side by side, they look like different models, but they're mostly the same plastic. So I think that's quite clever. Yeah.
2: And I know that the, the issue with that in the past has been – the, the cost of resin and I think that's really where and they mentioned it and talked about it on the show where the 3d printing is going to come into effect is being able to 3d mm. print off all those little specialty pieces, right like the shields yeah. or heads for all the different swaps or whatever and in lieu of just buying you know the expensive resin, we'll have options to build our riot troopers or whatever by um, printing off like the special shields or helmets or whatever for those
3: choices. Yeah, if buying the plastics is where Mantic are getting the money to invest back into more plastics, I'm happy to buy those in plastics and then go out to my shed and print off a load of heads. Um, totally. I've bought my, you know, the STL could have come from Mantic, it could be coming somewhere else, but, you know, preferably from Mantic, um, but i bought the plastics from them, I've, you know, I've done my, it is my Mantic army, but I can bury it, I can make different units. I, I think it's good, I think it's a good thing. It's interesting that they've they've gone for this. Um, I think there's some people that work for Mantic that are really into 3d printing and, um, have kind of got the company to to move in the right direction. I, I yeah, think it's it going to right be
2: really direction. interesting. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see sort of how that evolves. Uh, and I'm with you. I think the Mantic companion is it, it more and more values being added to that. I know I'm subscribed. I think it's, uh, especially I found even in the, uh, the firefight tournament being able to keyword search the rule books is really big uh i've used that a lot in tournaments in kings of war all the game systems of being able to keyword search rule books so if you haven't checked out the mantic companion yet or you're still on the fence about subscribing to it i think they continue to add more things into it so that there's more value as the more time that goes that goes on so so coming up what's what's good what's good what's next on your uh agenda event wise so when when do you have another firefight tournament on the book scheduled or or when do you think you guys will have your next event
3: as a community um i think the next tournament is the northern kings one that's actually quite soon i think soon i should know this and nick and elliot will get crossed if they don't know it well they won't get crossed because they're nice chats, but um theirs is next um i would love to go to it it's just so many miles away from me it would take me so long to get there i don't i wouldn't get it past the wife um mm-hmm. then what else is coming up they've also got there um then there's one at the lgt so there's the london grand tournament which is a big 40k tournament um there's a firefight tournament being run there think by clive but i'm not 100 sure i could be wrong there and i think that's going to get a lot of people from the south that will go to it um and then the northern kings are running their their king con convention at mm-hmm. some point i'll try and slip another um kings of hearts firefight tournament in i just need to see when the in. the problem is because there's so much of a crossover between the kings of war players and the firefight players I'm not just trying to avoid firefight tournaments. That's reasonably easy. I just pick halfway between those two events and go for it. It's also then trying not to clash with something else. Um, God,
2: because, you, because it's still a small enough scene, you don't want to you, you don't want to hold it the same weekend where these guys have Kings of War event uh, event they're going yeah. to. Yeah.
3: It would be suicide to hold something on Clash of King's weekend or yeah. the weekend after Clash of a Kings weekend, or on another one of the big Kings of War shows. Which I worse. saw,
2: like, that's that's got 150 players, the UK Clash that's this year. Huge. That is insane.
3: Yeah, is they've just done a brilliant crazy. job. Absolutely yeah, brilliant job. Shout out that.
2: to Steve again. Um, that's just incredible. He's got... Yeah, that Steve and his
3: whole team. There's, there's yeah. a few of them that are running that. So, yeah, they're, they're, all of them. He's done done brilliantly on that one. Um, and Kings of War, as a tournament as a scene has is just huge. I mean yeah. compared to what it was in our area when we started a few years ago. We, we were running tournaments because there weren't any. Mm-hmm. And now we're sitting there going, well we could run on over on that weekend because they've got one and they've got one. And you know the only weekends that, that haven't been successful is like poor Mark. He ran he 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 put his Shadow of the Reaper tournament, Mark and Grant, they put their Shadow of the Reaper tournament. And then unfortunately our king decided he's been, he has been going to be coronated on that day. Um, and it's kind of taken a load of his players, but short of you know a, a national event like that, nothing stopping the tournament. They're they are all the time. They're brilliant, and it's hard to to fit a Kings of War tournament in, you know, into the gaps to the point where I'm looking at running narrative events and stuff now, which mm-hmm. I've never run before because there are just so many good quality Kings of War tournaments. While there isn't a large firefight community that is totally independent of the kings of war community. we you, have just got to be a bit careful when we run these things.
0: Yeah.
2: So
3: what's the American scene like? I mean, is, is it a crossover or is it mostly dead zone players or.
2: X-Men so right X-Men now players, our, 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 as far as the sci-fi games go, dead zone is there's, there's some good bastions of dead zone spread throughout the U S you know, the dead zone tournament at adapted the Chicago Midwest area has a lot of dead zone players Uh, for us on the west coast uh kyle loves dead zone you know so we got we got we got a a people playing dead zone so for us getting people in the firefight so far is coming from two buckets it's the people who already love dead zone and are familiar with mantic games and then it's the people who maybe you know played another sci-fi game most likely 40k who Maybe they play Kings of War, and they're like, "Oh, hey, I would love to be able to still play a sci-fi game, and I love the, sort of the 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 DNA or the chromosomes of Mantic rules system. So let me try Firefight." Or it's pl- players who've played 40k who love that world or love sci-fi gaming, but just don't want that type of game. You know, they want an easier to play game, a game where they only need one book. You know, and maybe not like the rule book, the army book, the the campaign book that has this stratagem in it, or you know, vice versa. So I think we're pu- we're going to be pulling our people in from a couple buckets, maybe from dead zone players who want to you know use all their models, or from from other sci-fi game systems. Our issue in the west Western part of the country is that we just haven't really had any success getting mantic product into gaming stores it's like one of the areas of the united states that i know kyle and ronnie they're they're trying to find that one flagship store in the western half of the u.s that will that will sell mantic uh one of uh, some of our big kings of war scenes we have a big kings of war scene in reno uh, and one in southern california the reno scene is obsessed with 3d printing so they love 3d printing So we'll have a a, a tournament in Reno that has anywhere from 15 to 20 players. So like a good, a a good size for the Western uh, for, for our region, we're a little bit smaller region, Hmm. but the majority of those players all want to use 3d printed armies. So the main store that we play out of stopped carrying Mantic models because everyone's using 3d printed armies. So we run into that issue, right? Which is, I don't want to stem. I don't want to stymie creativity. I want people to play with whatever the models that they love, but When you're trying to get new players into a game, if they can't on the shelf see the game that you're playing, it's a lot harder, I think, to get new players into a game system if when they say, oh, this is cool, where do I buy it? And you're like, well, we're in a game Mm -hmm. store, but you can't buy it here because they don't carry it. Mm -hmm. Then as a new player, why am I going to play a game system that in my mind is not popular enough that the store that I'm here learning in won't even carry the models? So I feel like there's got to be some space. We got to get it get it more visible and in southern california we do a lot of our gaming out of scott holcomb's house which is amazing he can hold a 26 person tournament in his house but again it's 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 not as new player open so i think that for firefight to succeed at least in the western part of the united states i think it's going to come down to trying to get it just more more visibility in stores more if that's demo days or meetups or um that's another reason why i'm stopping the forge fathers probably at a thousand points and i'm gonna play i'm gonna paint up my second army so then that way i can go and run a demo you know and, and have mm. two factions and then i also have the, yeah i have a two player starter set so my goal is to get four thousand point lists so i'd have gcps forge fathers marauders and enforcers so i could run two demos at the same time and have four different factions for players to choose from
3: you talked about having firefight on the friday for masters yes is that because you think a lot of those masters players will also play firefight or is there not much of a crossover yet
2: no i think they're for me it's these are all local community leaders usually the people who play in masters are people often not always top level players are also the players who run tournaments are they're the they're the they're the um the champions for the game system they're the people who love going to events they're trying to help people get to events so I think trying to get more visibility of firefight at masters is I'm hoping that when they see uh that game system and have a chance to play it not only will they get excited about it but then they'll take it back as these masters as players from the entire country come together in one hmm. spot so I'm hoping maybe to get the bug in some of these, community champions so when they go back to their home base they can be like oh at masters i tried firefight and it's super cool let's do a slow go league or let's make some small factions or let's do this so i'm trying to view it more, like kind of almost like a fashion show like like let me show you guys how cool and slick this game is and then hopefully you'll want to try it and then take it home with you when you leave and go back to your home so that's sort of the goal
3: do you think having more tournaments would get people to play just because they're there i mean i know that we've got a few players who've only played in tournaments they, they'll they play three games in a tournament nothing three games in a tournament and if the tournament wasn't there they wouldn't be playing yeah um, i
2: think you need i think, think you need or- war. yeah i think you need organized play and organized play can mean different things right organized play mm. could mean a tournament it could mean a, a league Like we have a Kings of War League in Southern California that's really popular. It's called Surge and Destroy, you know, and they love playing in the league format. So I think it's not just the tournament. I think you got to have organized play. I think it's a lot easier for people to know, well, uh, I want to play, but I don't really know anyone or I got to call my buddy and schedule Whereas I know, oh, hey, April 23 and 24, this event is happening. I'm going to go play.
3: Hmm.
2: So I think organized play can take on the guise of many things like it can be a tournament it can be whatever you want but I think there needs to be some sort of organized structure to grow game systems. So uh and that's what we're trying to do for Firefight. We're looking at trying to trying to get something going at Masters and then we have some players in the Pacific Northwest and the Seattle area that we're talking about trying to get some some events for firefight going so i I think the people who love it over here really do love it it's just we're i think just a a few steps behind you guys as far as as far as getting the scene going even as a country
3: you know we complain about how long it takes us to get from north to south but but it is doable you know nick williams came to one of our tournaments he came a long way to do that Um, and then we had one, we had a pair of people that played at our tournament and then was zipped across the country to play Kings of War the next day. So it is doable. I think what's useful for us and what's made it easier for us to run them down south than it has for the chaps up north in the Midlands. You know, Clive has put a huge amount of effort into running tournaments, but he struggled to fill some of them through no fault of his own. I think what's helped with us is we've got one or two clubs that have got enough people in that we can kind of half-fill an event so that if only two or three people turn up, it can still run. And then because the events are running, then it encourages more people to come to it that wouldn't have done if it didn't look like it was going to, to fill up and go ahead. Literally, you know, the pit Gaming Shop with the Thor's Gaming Club, there's five or six of us that play. If we all turn up to a tournament, we can half-fill the tournament we started. And then people can can come to us when they try and do that somewhere else. If they haven't got like just one real core of people which they can expect to all turn up or half of them to turn up, then every single player that they that they're going to have, they've got to draw from somewhere to advertise, to bring together. And I think that's what they're finding harder.
2: Yeah, I feel like what you're what you're talking about really resonates with me. And we've talked about it before. Is I think gaming groups need a certain critical mass of players to get started. Mm, and yeah, I think that, that's the word, isn't it? When, yeah, when you hit that sort of between five and eight, it means that you're no longer dependent on everyone that you know who plays that game to show up on any given day to launch something. Because, you, hey, my kid's sick, I can't come today. Or I'm really snowed at work, I can't make the normal day, night, or whatever. Once you get to that five to 10 people range, you know you can get a couple of games going or a small event or whatever going with not needing absolutely everyone who, you know, who plays the game to show up. So I Mm. found sometimes it's a lot easier to go from that six to eight to 12 to 14 to 16. than it is sometimes to go from the two to six. That can be like the hardest, uh, a part of getting the scene going is getting that first, you know, getting away from just, Hey, it's me and my friend or just, Hey, I love this game. How do I get more people's playing? It's like, you got to hit that, like where the, the the snowball going down the Hill is gaining enough momentum. Now that the ball is going to go, whether or not you show up or not.
3: Absolutely. We can, we can get the snowball going in the South of England. And because England's small enough, it means that everybody can come to our tournaments If they're willing to put the drive, not willing, you know, if they're able to put the drive in and then, that gets a few more people going to tournaments, and then the next time somebody in the Midlands, the next time somebody up north tries to run a tournament, they get slightly higher numbers. What's interesting is the biggest number of firefight players I think in one room that they've had was Andy from Blackjack Gamings. His event that he ran—it wasn't a tournament; it was a—it was Mantic HQ, um, and it was—it was. It was I don't think even the narrative thing—it was just a, a come along and play games, but like a, a nice meetup meet group um,
2: of just like get yeah. together and
3: play. I think it was they—they done um, on his on his YouTube channel and, and on his web on his Facebook site. Blackjack done, legacy,
2: right, is his YouTube channel. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Did I, did I say that wrong? I can't remember. I said now. I um, think yeah, it's a blackjack
2: but, but, gaming, but but blackjack yeah, legacy. Blackjack yeah, is,
3: yeah, that's one. And I think they they done um they done a slow grow, hadn't And then that finished a slow grow, and that got a lot of people. Yeah. down there and I think it being at Mantic HQ helps you know it's oh you know oh I'll go to Mantic it's it, it's going to be big it's at Mantic HQ whereas I think some of the other tournaments they need people need to know that it's going to fill but I'm hoping that just a few pockets of, of starting to form of people that are coming together and then it encourages people from other clubs where they can't get a game other than at a tournament then yeah. they can come along and then perhaps they'll take it back to their clubs, back to their shops and then perhaps it'll grow a bit there. And if you have time, and that is the question is how quickly can Firefight grow? How quickly can we, you know, is now the time to say I'm going to run a 30-man two-day tournament? Um, it would be brilliant, it'd be absolutely amazing and it would need every single person that's been to a tournament so far to come all on the same day, which is really hard to imagine happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you just look at fanatics. There are thousands of people in firefight, well, a thousand and something people in firefight fanatics, um, but they're not all in the same place and they're not all going to go to a tournament and they're not all going to be free on the same day. So, yeah. It's...
2: And you ask a bunch of, you ask a bunch of good questions that I don't think there is any completely right answer to answer them, nor is there any complete wrong. As you mentioned a lot when discussing how, tournament and event design has to be commiserate with where the state of your scene is, you know, based on points, levels, uh, types of missions, you know, what are the, what are you, you know, when you're running an event, the players are your clients are your customers really. Right. So it's like, where, Mm -hmm. where is my client base at? And you have to make your events both uh, reflective of that. But also I think you want to make your events reflective of where is the, where, what is your vision? Where are you going? like, in the West, we try to have sportsmanship and hobby as elements of our scoring systems, uh, because we want to promote all aspects of the game. Whereas maybe some other places look just at battle, or they look just at this, or whatever. So I think trying to design a community based on where are you at right now is important. But also, I think it's also a good idea to keep track of where where are we at now, right now, but where do we want to go? Like, what is our what is our aggregate, our umbrella? like, what is our philosophy? What, what are our guiding principles? You know, to think about that when you're growing a scene, I think is also important. So sort of my philosophy, our philosophy now is just trying, we're in like exposure, like, Hey, we just had firefight at Adepticon. Here's a bunch of pictures. We had a great time. Uh, Tyler and I, Tyler from Dreadpath zone, YouTube channel, we're going to do a uh, uh, firefight at Ma- uh, Kings of War masters. Come take a look. So we're trying to sort of link firefight to bigger events where other stuff is happening to try to build that initial interest. Because I doubt if I was going to say, hey, I'm going to host a firefire event, I mean, I could get no one. So to me, it's like we're not quite there yet. We're at the let's just get the game in front of eyeballs. That's sort of what mm-hmm. I'm thinking right now is let's get it in front of eyeballs. Let's get it in front of the dead zone people, the people who are already playing within the, the Warpath universe. Let's get the game in front of them. And then hopefully mm-hmm. then we'll start building some of that momentum so that we can ru- start running. Uh, uh, my hope is sort of to start running like f- Friday night firefight where at Kings of War tournaments or at other events, the Friday night leading into the event, there'll be some sort of firefight something. And then start mm-hmm. there. And then hopefully, you know, as we grow, move into to having more more dedicated firefight events. So I'm trying to think of it as just like a, where am I at right now? Where do I want us to be down the road? And then try to have my steps be consistent with both where we are at, but also where we want to go and try to just travel that path. That's sort of our thinking.
3: I think what I need to say is I've talked about various different people, and I think it's only fair to sort of mention a few of the others, there's a limited number of firefight TOs at the moment. I think it's the Northern Kings have run run one event they've got another two coming up there's clive stone of mantic and and um and he's angry got angry grot gaming um events that he runs he's had at least one that's run and he's, he's done a couple of others um there's lgt which is coming up there's also iron skull gaming i don't know much about them but i've seen him a lot on facebook and they've got an event coming up soon And then there's Matt G, who ran a two-day firefight and um, dead zone tournament a little while back. Mm -hmm. So there's there's been a a good number of tournaments, a good number of people getting into this.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to try to get them on the shows. Like I reached out to Elliot and Nick about coming out to, to talk about their event coming up for Northern Kings, which is the evasion of Pont Carlo. Color, which yeah. yeah let's give them a quick shout out that's coming up soon that's going to be on Saturday April 29th uh and it's a three game event at 1250 points uh, at Olympus War Games in Pontfract is that how you pronounce it pontifract yeah yeah Pontifract uh tickets are 17 pounds which includes lunch which is awesome So check out the Northern Kings events Facebook page, but I'm going to try to get Elliot and Nick on. We've had Elliot on once before to talk all things firefight, but I think you bring up a good point is as, as we start to try to run things ourselves, we need to make sure we're giving props to the other people in our community who are running it. Try to give a platform for each other as content creators or event organizers again, because a lot of why we do the things we do is so that we'd have people to play games with, right? Right. You know, like you run an event often so that someone else will run an event because you want to go to their event and vice versa. You know, it's very yeah, much a, you know, I'm going to run an event as like my, and I think about like why we do the podcast. A lot of countercharge to me is I'm trying to give back to the community, all of us. We're trying to uh, create spaces and platforms for people to come on and talk about what they're doing, you know, and it's all that thing. And in the end, we're trying to do this because we're gamers ourselves, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we want these games that we love to have lots of people playing and having a good time so we we try to help support that by running events or doing podcasts or whatever there's lots of different ways you can try to contribute to that ecosystem of trying to create uh, venues and places and spaces for more people to be to to be enjoying the hobby or more people to be having fun building fellowship community like all those great things um, I think that we can all be um, advocates and champions for that, along with also being gamers at the same time.
3: Yeah. I think the podcast really helps out there because it, it, it's so many ears that it gets to. I think we've got the the Northern Kings um, one that you just spoke about on the t- uh, the Grand Tournament on the Saturday, which is, I think, the 30th of October thirtieth of September, I want to say. Um, There is a um, sorry on Sunday, which must be the first of October. There is a one thousand point four game firefight tournament, and I'm pretty sure that Iron Skull Gaming have got a tournament coming up. But I can't find it on Facebook at the moment to say when it is. But I'm, I'm pretty sure they've got something.
2: Yeah, it's and if like you're people, involved in yes,
3: is coming up.
2: Yeah, and if you have if you're involved in any of those, or you're you're just enjoying firefight in your local scene, don't hesitate to shoot me a message, a private message on Facebook, or come onto the Countercharge Facebook group, and we'll invite you on. You know, we very much on Countercharge. Anytime someone wants to come on the show and talk about something, we we love having new voices on the show. So, yeah, if there's any events you want to come and plug, we're, we're pretty much now trying to do at least one Firefight episode a month for Counter Charge, sometimes more. So we're always looking for uh, uh, Firefight stuff to talk about. So, yeah, so just let us know, you know, uh, you know, we'll get you on, you know, stay tuned for more details on what the Firefight event at uh, Master's is going to be and in our masters. We also have what's what we call a best of the rest tournament. So masters weekend actually has two events happening simultaneously. It has the 64 person Kings of war masters invitation event. And then it also has an open tournament for anyone else who just wants to come and play at a tournament during masters weekend. And we've had upwards of 40, 50, 60 players in that tournament as well. So we're going to have a lot of masters weekend is really becoming like a uh, a mini convention in some ways you know there's multiple tournaments there's a lot there's st- streaming going on there's live podcast broadcast you know tons of really great stuff so i'm really hoping for that friday night firefight that we're going to get it get the game in front of a lot of new players and and I, I have some cool prizes i'm thinking of so if you're interested at all at that also feel free to reach out to me through facebook and all there's going to be more info for that to come shortly so Thanks, Matt, for coming on the show, as always. Uh, The second of many uh, appearances, I hope. So it's been a pleasure to have you on. Kyle had the jet, so thanks to Kyle. And then we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, I'm going to come back with Tyler. So we will be right back.
0: Do you take delight in playing with friends and their toys in a safe place free of judgment? Countercharge After Dark. It's where magic happens. Check the show notes and Facebook group announcements for the Discord link.
2: Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS
4: listening to Countercharge.
2: And we are back. And now uh, I'm happy to be joined by the other side of the firefight countercharge triangle with uh kyle myself i'm happy to have tyler from the uh, dread path zone youtube channel how, how's it going tyler
4: oh that's good man it's real good
2: awesome we uh, were doing a nice little sunday morning recording tyler was uh busy having an adult life and was not able to join us yesterday in our recording with matt but happy to have you today so how is the um is it like spring there yet in colorado or is it still snowing or still cold it's, or what it's we a
4: spring at? it's a spring in colorado so uh it just snowed for absolutely no reason big thick heavy snow for no reason and then it was all melted within the day so okay you know it's just and, wild coaster weather super that's, normal
2: that's normal for you guys okay yeah
4: absolutely so yeah it just just snowed and then just melted so it's it's good it's good But the best thing is that while you guys were recording yesterday, I was at work. But then after that, I got to play some Dead Zone yesterday. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was his very first game of Dead Zone, and I think he absolutely loved it. Totally got him hooked. I just did the the starter set uh, models. So I built two 150-point lists, and we did GCPS versus uh, Bierman. And it was the most nail-biting, super close. It came down to the last... Last round it was like 18 to 19 on the victory points. Like it was it was oh, wow. awesome. Wow close. Yeah, so super good game. And man, do I love Dead Zone. I, I always forget how much <laughs> I love Dead Zone. And then I play it again. I'm like, man, this game's just so fun. It just reminds you why it's your main squeeze. You know what I mean? Just being like uh Yeah, uh, like it was just his very first game. He's like, Man, this is exactly what I wished kill team was. Like I love that I have decisions I have to make. The command dice are super fun, like trying to figure out what to do when. And then, yeah, it was it was just epic. It was it was really great. So, so you might be
2: doubling the amount of people you get to play Dead Zone with,
4: is what you're saying? Yeah. And then he mentioned that he heard. I, I need to look into this because this this is bizarre to me. But he said that there's like a there's like a small coffee shop gamer kind of place, and he said that every like Tuesday or Thursday or something. They have people playing Dead Zone there. And I was like, no way. Like I would have heard about that. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure that's a thing. So I need to look into that because if there's like a regular group of Dead Zone people just playing yeah. every week that I had no idea existed in the same town that I live in, I'm gonna be both upset and also extremely happy. Uh-huh. You'll you'll cry happy tears. Yeah, I'll be I'll be upset because I've been missing out for a long time, but I'll be really excited because damn, I'm
2: place yeah. to play some dead zone that's funny sometimes because we think our community is so small and especially uh like making content for it you think that you know everyone that it would be like a shocker if you were walking to a store and being like oh yeah yeah what are you guys playing over there oh we're playing this really cool game called dead zone have you heard of it And you're like yes i have
4: <laughs> have i heard of it yes well that's awesome Uh so, yeah i got some dead zone in that's been great and then i've just been trying to catch up on hobby stuff since Adepticon. I didn't buy a whole lot of things, but I have just a lot I need to do. So what have you been working on? Um, so in terms of, like, painting, I am continuing chewing through all of my Ratkin. Um, I figured I'd take that, like, hobby high energy from from Adepticon and just try to power through a whole bunch of spearmen. Um, so I have, like... I don't do, like, the small batch painting thing. I'm really bad at that. So I, I have, like... 60 something spear guys on my painting table right now. And they're all about 60% done now. So I'm, I'm actually chewing through it pretty well. You know, I just throw on the last last kingdom on Netflix and just power through watch Uhtred kill some stuff and then just paint a whole lot of spears. Nice. So <clears throat> I'm doing that. And then on the other side of the hobby, like if I need to take a break from staring at Ratman. um, I have my Northern Alliance uh, slash Veringer Armada fleet that I'm starting to paint. I got the tiny little sloop I used as kind of a, a test model, and I, I painted it up, gave it some nice red and white sails, and I really like the way it's turning out. So that's pretty exciting because I haven't painted boats since I first got Armada, so this is this is fun. Nice, nice, very cool. Because I
2: know you, you that was one of your takeaways from Adepticon, right? Is that you got to, to get a little bit more Armada in, and we're really loving that game system
4: yeah yeah absolutely and i do have a regular armada a uh, couple players that you know are pretty good for games around here and so it'll be fun to bring out something other than the one army i've been playing for the entirety of this game so nice yeah so I mean, uh hobbies hobbies going well man i got a lot of stuff i still got that that hobby high energy from from adepticon so i'm just riding that wave nice yeah that puns fully intended such, especially with such... the boats
2: yeah, such a fun event. Now, do you see yourself ever doing
4: Armada Battle Reports or ever including that on your channel at all? Um, I've thought about it. I I'm trying to figure out a good way to like film an Armada Battle Report, you know, cuz it's not like constant action like a a Dead Zone Firefight is. There's a lot of just, you know, moving around. And mm-hmm. and for me personally, I don't I don't love Battle Reports where it's just two guys just straight up playing the game. I mean, I mean, I know that's what a battle report is, but I don't know if that translates well, but like, do you know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like, I don't want like a static ca- camera angle, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know what else to do. Like, I think the Tom's Bunker guys, they do a pretty good job at it on YouTube. They, they have some pretty sweet battle reports, but um, I don't know. Haven't, haven't thought too much about Armada on the channel, but we'll, we'll see. I'd, I'd never yeah. say never. Never say Never. I've been toying around with the idea of, of making a sequel video to my How to Dead Zone and do a How to Firefight video, like a big, oh, cool. yeah, that's a a big meme fest. But those are so much work. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. So much work getting all the files and writing the script and doing all that stuff. But that is like my favorite video I've done, the, the How to Dead Zone video. So maybe the Firefight would be pretty fun. So And it's it's good for the game, I think yeah it's, i know i love firefight so i did talk a little bit about in the first
2: half of the episode with the other guys is last weekend i got to actually play firefight in person at my house i actually didn't have to go anywhere to play oh, a miniatures game yeah yeah it was pretty awesome a buddy of mine from sacramento came over and brought some miniatures from the game that she'll be shall not be named and played them as enforcers so it was really cool to get a to get a, a a game in and he had a really nice time. He, he He's played Kings and stuff, but has never played Firefight.
4: Yeah, how and, did he like it? Did he like it? Oh, system? he
2: liked it a lot. I mean, by turn two, we're, we're not looking, you know, he's got it, right? You know, okay, I'm activating this, I'm doing this, so I'm going to spend this command point to do this. So, you know, I think that there is some definitely, like, uh, uh, checking for cover, uh, there was elements that were familiar from Kings of War. You know what I mean? Some uh, keywords or stuff like that, and having played like other sci-fi games for so long and everything, I felt that he was able to to work his way into the game system pretty easily. Yeah, we had a really good game. He brought in his enforcer list. He had some sniper teams. He had some regular guys. He had a strider. He had some bikes. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. He ended up having actually a fair amount of bodies. We played a thousand points, so I just played my adepticon list against him
4: and okay. uh yeah so it's a, a shootout a good old a
2: shootout yeah forcer Forgefather shootout exactly and then he shot out shot me a little which was good when you're giving a demo because it's like let the Wookiee win even though i was still trying but he like uh ended up just crushing me and he's like oh man this game is great and I was just like, yes, please <laughs> wh- whoop me as much as you want, as long as you will play this with me. But he got his um peacekeepers sort of in the middle of the board and was using that aura to give them the extra resilient. Yeah, yeah. And oh man. Down. yeah, he had stuff, man. He, he had the one squad of regular peacekeepers, and then he had one, he had the peacekeeper leader unit. So between those two units, he was able to get on the middle objective, and I just could never move him off that objective, the super, super hard to kill.
4: Yeah, they they do what they say they're supposed to do. You know, they they stick around. They're nasty. I love it. Ex- exactly. Is that your first time playing against Enforcers?
2: It is. It was my first time. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Nice. Uh,
2: and he didn't like, he didn't have it either the old bomber or the new bomber. He just had, he, we just kind of made a thousand point list with some fast stuff, some shooty stuff, some just trying to get a flavor for all the different type units.
4: Yeah. I mean, um, the bomber is amazing, but everything in enforcers does this this job well. So like, you know, it, it gets all the spotlight of like, Oh my God, it's so broken, blah, blah, blah. But like enforcers are just really good. So yeah. And there was this key,
2: there was this key moment in the game where he had, we were playing the scenario that we played at the adepticon tournament. Uh, I forget what it is what it is off the top of my head, whereas there's objectives in your side of the board, the middle and your opponent's side, and it's progressive yeah. scoring.
4: I love that. I think yeah. that's a really good mission. That's, that's probably my favorite one.
2: So I was on my back right-left objective with one of my squads with the double missile launchers, and I'm just like, come at me, bro. And uh, come at me, He he did. And he was able to get his bikes where... He shot off, he did some like some good maneuvering and shooting where he was able to get me off the objective and it's where he was scoring the objective. So I had to, my plan was I'm going to drop my hammer fist drop tubes on like his back objective that had no one on there and like a strider. So I was going to do all this stuff, but I ended up having to use my hammer fist drop tubes to just land, you know, to reinforce my back lines and, and shoot his bikes off my back objective. Uh, so I didn't get to use them to score. I had to use them in like a defensive way to keep him from scoring. Yeah, it's all part of the game, though. You know, you gotta, exactly.
4: Got to figure out the puzzles as they as they come out. Uh-huh.
2: And I just ended up not having enough bodies, you know, which I, I love Classic for Forge time. Fathers. And classic Asanoid's Forge Fathers. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You know, cl- the classic <laughs> uh, uh Tales Hold His Time Forge Fathers
4: story. Yep. Well, especially the thousand points.
2: Yeah, but super fun game. I got um. As far as hobby, I let the other fellas know, but I hadn't talked to you yet. I got all of my female heads for my maybe it's Maybelline GCPS army. I got all my head swaps in. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. So excited about those. Time on them. Yeah, and then I'm going to be doing for my bases. I'm going to be doing something similar to my Forge Fathers, where I'm getting like uh, the bases that have already had uh, uh, pre-made bases, but um, I'm going to be going in and like
4: modifying a little uh, yeah
2: exactly so i'm getting from gamers grass which i got my snow ones they do like an urban it's called like uh, urban warfare it's like an urban themed base and i'm just gonna go in there and on the base itself it's got really good uh like components like uh rubble of ground like sewer grates like little bits of machinery but it's all just dry brushed so i'm gonna go in and actually pick out some of the metal pieces like do a little extra painting you know to spruce them up, but it gives you a really good starting point.
4: Oh yeah, I'm taking a look at them online right now. There, yeah,
2: yeah. So those, those are those are the those ones speed. I'm going to use for my GCPS. So I think those look okay.
4: Nice. What do you think in color wise for your your uh, infantry? Uh,
2: okay, so that I need to decide. I have not thought at all about my color scheme yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I've got to think about. That's where I'm. I, I still have not decided yet, so I'm gonna be looking at color schemes, thinking about stuff, and I think I'll probably get a test model or two put together here at some point.
4: Yeah, I feel like I feel like those models are really good for you know, kind of a dark like gray or black or something, but then one color that really pops. Like I think yeah. that's what works the best on on those CCPS.
2: Yeah, so I think that's what I'm gonna try. Uh, and I'll probably try a couple test models or look at some schemes and think about you know what what might work. And then I've just been doing a lot of work on getting um, on my Empire of Dust, my Mantic Empire of Dust. Like yeah, dude, night, your, your
4: monolith looked awesome. The one thanks. You posted, that's, that's really good.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah. And then now I'm working on my enslaved guardians and my, uh, and I've just been trying to get a bunch of my bases done. Uh, so then that way I can, um, the basing materials, it's, it's, it's like a mess, right? Like I got my static grass applicator out. I got all of like my, my, sculpt, my sculpting tool and my basing uh, texture paints. And it's just like doing basing is just messy. So I'm trying to just finish all the bases for the army up to like 95%. Because sometimes when you put the models on the base, you need to adjust something. But I'm trying to get all my bases done to a point so that I can put all that basing material away. And just focus on
4: painting. Focus on miniatures. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. So I've just been I was up really late last night. Uh I finally finished I hadn't watched it. Andor, the Star Wars TV show.
4: Yeah, I haven't started that one. Oh, I'm, it's really I'm so good. far behind in, in Star Wars stuff. Oh my god. Yeah. I saw the second season of The Mandalorian and then like since then I've just been like fell off completely
2: yeah i'm trying to be kind of like since i've been working on some sci-fi stuff watching sci-fi
4: shows nice so, yeah yeah it's a good idea
2: yeah so i caught up this weekend i'm all caught up now on the mandalorian and i watched andor so i i made some progress in nice Powering
4: through yeah <laughs> so just much, having so
2: stuff. much content <laughs> exactly just having stuff on in the background you know yesterday that's all i did all day long was just like hobby which was pretty fun i hadn't had like an you know uh yeah, that's last, a good day off right there, yeah it was it was super fun so yeah. So now just getting ready for coming up, uh, which will, this episode will probably be out right before we have lone wolf coming up, yeah. which is going to be super fun. I am bringing my empire of dust. I'm going to be using Britain's army that I used when I recently went to Reno. So I'm going to be, t- so using the list that I'm building, but just using his models so I can keep getting practice with the list as I paint it, you know, because this is the list that I want to take the masters. So
4: nice. Yeah.
2: So just getting ready, getting ready for that. So,
4: been, been super fun, yeah. I wish I could go to Lone Wolf, it's just a little bit too close to Adepticon for yeah, time yeah. purposes. So,
2: and that makes sense, you know. Adepticon's an expensive event, too, so it's yeah. not even like oh, well, maybe I can swing it time wise. It's like it's actually pretty, yeah, back
4: to back, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, uh, you know, back to back,
4: and I love Lone Wolf, though, it's so fun, yeah, such a good tournament.
2: It is. It's a blast. So uh and I think they have good numbers this year. You know, I think they're in the seventy-ish, you know, which is always Lone Wolf's always a good size, but
4: although I, looking I, at the I, lists, I gotta say, and you know, I might get some flack for this, but I'm I'm kinda disappointed in Dustin Howard's uh ratkin list. It's it's like a straight down the line, boring ratkin list. <laughs> I, I expected, you know, something with like, you know, uh-huh. three mutant rat fiends and, and some some like Death Engine <laughs> Impalers or something. You know, get get the Monster Mash going, and yeah, yeah uh huh. I, I don't see some it. out you of know, the I'm, box. Some out so of the if, box. If yeah. Dustin's listening to this, I'm I'm disappointed. I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's it's just kind of <laughs> kind of a standard racking list. I was I was hoping for a more Dustiny list. Uh huh. Yeah. The
2: box of death, but with cheese inside this time. Yeah. Exactly. The exactly. Bones. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't even had a chance to really look at much of what people are taking. I've been so busy and just been so. It's funny, right? Because when you when you come from a, I feel like when you come from a convention, you mentioned it before, that hobby juju or that hobby mojo. I feel like it's gonna last. It's like a, it's gonna last you for X amount of time. So you got to like fully utilize that juju. So I feel like I've had so much energy to just be getting hobby stuff done. I haven't even really. That's where I've been trying to put my my energy into because. I have the the motivation to do it. So I want to ride that, that pony, you know?
4: Yeah, exactly. As as hard as I can. Well, that's, that's why I'm not doing any of the the really fun stuff that I want to be painting necessarily, just because I have that, like that, that motivation now. So I'm like, I need to grind through all these boring infantry and then I'll get to the fun stuff. (laughs) So I'm just trying to grind through all that. while while the energy is high, because there's nothing, nothing harder than trying to batch paint, like a, a horde of, Infantry when you don't have the motivation, that's just brutal. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. Get through this st- this lodge stuff when you have <clears throat> the motivation to do it.
4: Oh uh, yeah. Speaking of getting through things, I forgot to mention I I finally finished all my my marionettes. Oh, that's nice. That's what I had kind of going before Adepticon before I had to start painting all the rats, and so I had a whole bunch of marionettes for my Starians, and I I finished all of them. So now I have like a whole lot of options for lists and things with the with the hysterians.
2: Nice. A little bit more. So uh, a little bit more list variety now. If you want to run it on the channel or just run it for yourself, you have some more options.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And what are you using? I think we talked about this before, but one of the Asterians, as far as model-wise, that's sort of missing something is there aren't a lot of great options, right, to do Black Talons?
4: I Actually, mean, it... I figured out a pretty good way to do Black Talons. Okay, t-
2: tell us. what. Yeah, are so, you
4: so on the Marionette sprue, there's You know, your standard marionettes, and then there's like the one sort of commander marionette who's like a little bit beefier. He's got like a bigger helmet, and he's like... But but critically, he has a backpack, and it's like a cool-looking, you know, very asterian looking backpack, and you can put that, and it fits exactly perfect on the ciphers as well. So if you have extra ciphers and you have enough sprues of marionettes, you can clip off the the backpacks and put them on there and then between that and just painting them a little bit different from your other ciphers it actually looks pretty darn good so i've got i've got a solid amount of black talons now enough that i think i can run a pretty nasty list with probably two maybe three squads of of black talons and then the leader and Mm -hmm. because i think that's one of the most powerful builds because that is just crazy Like when you, when you get those free shoot actions and you know, you're shooting with like your highest quality units for free and then they get to shoot and then they get to shoot for real. It's, it's really nasty. So,
2: well, that's awesome. You found a cool way to do black towns because like you said, I think they're just so good in the game to move around, do double shoot actions, all that, all that sort of stuff. So you'll have to post some pictures in the, the Facebook page. Once this episode goes live, maybe in the thread, put some pictures of your guys. because I'm curious to see.
4: Yeah. It's is. not, it's not a difficult conversion or anything by any means, but it does look like they had jump packs and that's really all you need. So
2: yeah. Just something to you, give you that sense of the, the aerial deployment or the, the, their speed
4: or. Yeah. And fortunately for me, I have enough of the actual black talents too, that there's a little bit of variety within the poses because you know, those guys are kind of static because they're just the, the ciphers, but they have jump packs on. And then the actual Black Talon guys look like they're jumping. So when you kind of mix them together, it does have a a nice feel to the unit. Like some guys are jumping, some guys have already landed. You know, it's it's kind of neat. So pretty happy with that, especially for how easy it was.
2: Nice, 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 nice.
4: But that does kind of go on the assumption that you have a whole bunch of marionette sprues. (laughs) So, you know, there's that.
2: So I'm curious, Tyler, you know... In the first part of the episode, uh, we won't really uh, talk on it specifically, but we rifted a lot on the early sort of power or the the early sort of um, uh, faction rankings coming out of the UK. And we talked a little bit about how that's a a pretty small uh, sample size, etc. But I'm just curious... In all things equal, right? often, I think sometimes when we're trying to find out which faction maybe has more inherent power than the other, it's not just a simple question to answer because it will depend on who's playing what what's what are the scenarios, you know what is the terrain like, et cetera, et cetera so uh, we're just rifting here, so I know people are going to listen and go like you're wrong, you're wrong, and we realize there's a there's a lot more of this, but this is this is why we 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 do shows it's to rift on ideas like this, but where are you at as far as as we have had a couple events and we're going into the first first working on that first, you know, Clash of Kings for Firefighter, that first balance pass? Your top three factions. What what are you feeling?
4: Ooh, top three factions. Uh okay, in terms of powerful builds, I think it's probably gotta be and I don't know if there's a specific order to this, but I think... Oh, yeah, okay, so it's
2: like not, not in 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 not in, uh, uh, power order per se, but just your sort of top three in the conversation.
4: I think in the conversation should probably be Enforcers, Veermen, and Marauders. And some for similar reasons, some for different reasons. Uh, enforcers, I think, because everything is very point efficient. Like what you get for what you pay for. It's usually quite a bit of shots. It's usually... You know, shooting on a good number, um, that kind of thing, and then like their resilient stuff is pretty darn resilient. Like you mentioned in your mini battle report, there, Um, the peacekeeper guys are good. They do have all the options for speed for anti tank stuff. Um, So I don't think there's anything they're really lacking. Uh, You know, even even their combat ability. Obviously, they're they're not like a close combat faction, but their assault guys can hold their own. They're, they're no slouches, and so I think even their weaker spots are not that weak. Um, and I think just their points efficiency in general, even if you're not bringing all the, the bombers and stuff, the I, I think Enforcers just, they bring it in all the all the other aspects. So, um, I'd say Enforcers are, are really probably the most balanced powerful faction, like if, if you're going to talk about just straight power, but also having like Different ways to play it. It's not like they're broken because of one mechanic. So I think Enforcers are just a solid pick, which is pretty good, especially because that's you know one of the more starter factions. Especially if you get like a starter set, um, I think it's good to have that.
2: And I think it's also it's good to have a faction like you said that's maybe new player friendly or that's sort of just like Enforcers feel to me. Like you said, they're they're just well versed in living in Value Town. Like, all their stuff does pretty good. You don't have to worry about keeping guys in, in distance to give orders because most of them have advanced training. You know, it just seems like a, 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 a faction that you can do different things with that has good value, that uh, you don't have to do anything too sneaky with them, right, to get to get what you want out of them. On yeah, the what,
4: what they say they do is what they do. So, I, and and I, yeah, the, the advanced training thing is a huge leg up. Uh, I I noticed a lot during my games, especially at Adepticon, where I was like, oh man, this would be a great time to put an order on these guys, but my commander's on the other side of the board. Like, whoops. You know, so I think I think that's uh, that's definitely something to consider. And it's it's a powerful aspect. Um in terms of Veerman being a top tier faction, again, I think they have a lot of value town units that are just, you know, wicked cheap for good output. Like just just your basic you know crawlers and stalkers um especially stalkers if you can get them into combat like especially with how many dice they get and i I feel like their save right now is probably a little bit too high like their their armor is a little bit better than it probably should be like their armor five and it's just it's kind of natty but it's kind of naughty like you you just you can take hits that you don't think they should Mm -hmm. um but yeah, for yeah such I... a
2: blender unit like that you know the shooting <clears throat> like i found shooting at close combat stuff and you can mention it in marauders with the skyscrapers at armor five shooting at stuff in close combat that has that armor five are better it's really demoralizing sometimes
4: uh yeah you can't quite yeah. kill
2: enough of them and then they get in your face and they blender you
4: yeah exactly so um but I think where the Veermen really turn into top tiers if you're able to, to really maximize the the subterranean deployment stuff. Uh, if you if you really pack some tunnelers full of things, it's just it provides such a problem for your opponent. And especially with being able to increase the capacity of of who can fit into a tunneler, like you can do just so many things that just they don't break the game, but they just play on a different level than the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just pop up in the back of the field with, you know, up to thirty guys—it's just a really powerful thing. That opponents—you have to always think about. Well, what if I play a Beerman guy that brings in a bunch of crap from the back? And that's kind of what makes them, I think, a a pretty top tier. Plus, in general, they're just—they got a lot of fast stuff and a lot of good options. So, cool because they have a lot of the punchiness that plague have with the advantage of that they can get to combat pretty safely. Whereas plague kind of have to figure out a way to slog across the board.
2: Yeah. It seems like with vermin, right. You have a little bit more tools with orders or with, with the tunnelers to, to deliver your combat units more f- efficiently.
4: Yeah. And again, this is not mentioning the, the progenitor thing where if you spam them, you can kind of break the game, but I, I don't include that in in the, because that's think, obviously that's obviously going to get balance patched so yeah um, but i talking, think in general it's just a it's a good play style and i think it's really fun but yeah the fact that you can just pop up like your entire army and just mm-hmm. do naughty things is it's pretty powerful
2: and i think that's going to be one thing they have to look at right is you're talking about well one of the cool things about veermen and that makes them so good is this ability to subterranean deploy and do all these sort of cool i'm in your face But then also that can be pushed to push that can be turned up to eleven. So there is there a space where you can keep that flavor and that feel to Veerman, but maybe not make it as punishing to your opponent.
4: Yeah, and that's always the challenge. I mean, especially with, and it could just be a simple fix of something like if you if you do subterranean or aerial deployment or something, then you can't play an additional activation after that or something, you know, just, just something. So there's time for your opponent to react to what you're doing before you're able to just do it. And I think that's also where the Marauders kind of fall in. um, Especially with the skyscraper unit being so good. I mean, I think Marauders are good across the board uh, just because they have the resilient, basically army wide, which is a really powerful ability because, you know, half the stuff you do to them, they just shrug off, which is awesome. And then they're also very point efficient. They are significantly, you know, cheaper than a lot of other base troops and things like that. So, but I, I think maybe a mechanic where there's an ability to to play against something that either aerial or subterranean deploys. Um, and I don't, even, I don't even know exactly what that would look like, but just something that gives one bit of reaction before gives you a tool in your toolbox
2: that you can you can do something you
4: have agency yeah uh, because at the moment like you can pop up a tunneler and charge a full unit out of it before your opponent can even react to the fact that you just popped up behind them you know and so i think um if there's some sort of mechanic like that just to kind of you know just to tweak and balance that a little bit because i like the idea of that for sure obviously i think that's a a really neat that
2: yeah, should thing. be a flavor of that army. I yeah. I think it's really cool. It just there needs to be some sort of space where you have a chance as a player to have like, oh, I have it's like, oh, this, this unit's gonna fly behind me and double pivot. Well, I get a turn to do something, but not no, I'm gonna fly behind, double pivot, and then also charge you in the rear before you have a chance to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh and that was one thing I found with the skyscrapers playing against them was. Not only was their ability to, to charge and get into combat before I could do anything, the fact that once they were there, they're there, two, they're two hit point defense five, uh, or armor five, I think, resilient. So even when they're in your back lines, they're just so hard to kill.
4: Uh, yeah, and that's what I like, found
2: playing Marauders. It's just they're really hard to kill.
4: Yeah. And I think that's what makes them a, a powerful option because they're, they're, their points cost is pretty darn low for some really high quality units that just don't die. So, yeah,
2: yeah it's just they can flood the board with a lot of bodies, and it's not like GC- GCPS to kill bodies. It's bodies that are like pretty tough to tough to
4: kill. Um. But you know, that being said, I don't think there's any faction necessarily that's like way behind that's falling way behind you know, that's like like terribly unbalanced it's like oh my god they're unplayable they're so bad or these guys are so good that you can only play these guys it's definitely not like that which is a really yeah. good sign
2: yeah so maybe we have like an s tier and an a tier and maybe one or maybe a little bit of b tier but it's not like we have we have stuff in the s tier and then stuff in the f tier
4: yeah it's and the B-tier. stuff and the stuff that's like in the b tier is mostly just because they're they're harder to pilot things like plague and Asterians, I think. Mm-hmm have a lot of really good powerful tools but they do take some figuring out and like same with gcps like i, I haven't quite cracked the code on on how to play gcps because i haven't really got the reps in but you know they, they have some cool stuff i just need to figure out how to best utilize it and it's funny because you
2: mentioned asterians and and when we talked about it yes uh, we we recorded yesterday but it's in the first part of this episode you guys are listening to when we talked about the asterians having the highest win rate in the uk right now at firefight competitive events and they're being piloted by a really great player who's also head of the rc so knows the game really well so that kind of tracks with what with what we've talked about you know in our early faction yeah they're they're just right?
4: such a such a scalpel you know so if you know how to wield that scalpel you can do massive damage but if you if you don't you can easily just miss stuff you know
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, you're dealing with a lot of stuff that really needs to utilize shields to stay alive and board placement and movement and order. How, which, which, how do you recharge your shields? Your whole shield economy in that list, I think, is really interesting. And I would imagine that you, the better you are at managing your shield economy, the more difficult it is to play against. Yeah, it's,
4: it's almost like a a mini game within playing (laughs) Asterians. Yeah. Because now you have the whole shield thing, you get to, you know, try to balance and how much command is too much command and how much command is too little command to be able to boost the shields again. And, you know, I, th- I think it's a whole separate set of issues, but I, I think that's the only thing that makes them, you know, not a super top tier kind of army is just because it's it's just difficult to, to play, which, you know, is is yeah. a good thing. But yeah, they definitely a, a different set of, of issues.
2: And when we played um, my game with my buddy last weekend, I used the new beta version of the Hammer Fist drop troops to give them a try with the with the one better armor. And, oh, man, it was nice.
4: Yeah, you know, did you like the, the, I the did. difference?
2: Armor 7 versus Armor 6 does feel different. Uh, oh,
4: for sure. You know, yeah.
2: especially when you're taking all that, like, AP 1 or AP nothing, like all the small arms fire. It makes them a little bit easier to survive. They can't just be shot off by like the crappy troops. You actually have to shoot something at them that has some AP. Uh, So I definitely, uh, I think that change feels fine. Also in comparing them to other type units, I mean, they don't have advanced training. They don't have multiple wounds. So I think that giving them a little extra armor, I think makes them more in line with those competitive alpha strike type units, which is what they are, right?
4: So, yeah, absolutely, and I, uh, I think Forgefather is in a really, really good spot. It's just that you know their access to command is a little bit difficult, and low points really hurts Forgefather's.
2: It is, and that's just something I've just kind of have discovered with the list. Now having played three, six, seven, I think I played now seven or eight games with the list because I played it uh, three game practice games, and then the three games at Adepticon, and then now I played it with my a buddy of mine. And I think I maybe played it on tabletop simulator once. That you know, if if you shoot off a bunch of stuff early with your super effective shooting, you're doing pretty good. But if you don't and you start losing stuff, you just don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of uh, supply to lose. Yeah.
4: yeah, exactly. At
2: that point, at that points level, but I mean, you go up a little bit and you get a tank and you get some thorgrim in the tank, and you, you know, you yeah, can exactly. Be, I'd, I'd be
4: curious know, to see what what the you know, what the results would look like if, if the Mm -hmm. standard tournament size was closer to 2000, you know, if it's like, you know, if if the standard tournament size is 1750 or, or 1500, then I, I wonder how all the, the math kind of changes on, on who's powerful and, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I I think that's also where something like GCPS, who I think a lot of people think are kind of under the curve. Mm -hmm. I think at higher points, that's where they, cause that's where they can start to excel because, they don't have the super high quality shots, but then at that quantity, if you can really get to that quantity of shots, that's when they become really dangerous because it doesn't matter what you need to roll when you're rolling
2: that many dice.
4: Yeah, exactly. But it's hard to get that many dice when you're at, you know, a thousand points or something. And I feel like that's kind of their, that's kind of their charm is they can just, you know, hammer away with just tons of laser fire or something like that. And we honestly we just don't have the data for it. So
2: yeah, we're still so super early. But with that, I'm curious. What is your initial sense? You know, at Adepticon we played a thousand points on a four by four, and earlier in the episode you'll hear myself, Matt, and Kyle sort of riff on that. What are your instincts as far as round time? Table size and point size. Where do you think the where do you think the next sort of area for us to explore in the competitive scene with Firefight? Or do you have any ideas around table size, point size, and round time?
4: Yeah, I think actually I, I gotta say Adepticon I thought was just about perfect for what it was. I think the four by four table at a thousand points is great. It it it's snappy, it works well. Uh, you don't feel like it's overly cluttered, but you also don't feel like you have so much space that there's just giant gaps in the table. So I think if you're going to go 1,000 points, 4x4 is the way to go. And then round time, I didn't have any issues. I don't know if you did at Adepticon, but I thought as long as you just you know played the game, I didn't think there was any real issues. So yeah. maybe, maybe you could go a little bit longer, but that's every tournament, right? You always wish you had a little bit more to work with, but... Um,
2: no, I think keeping them consistent with sort of the Kings of War round timer of that two hours to two hours and 15 minutes, you know, or two hours and 20 minutes for both players, you know, 65, 70 minutes aside somewhere in that range feels feels good to me.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think I think Adepticon is really a good testing ground. I didn't hear a lot of people like not figure out a decisive winner in their games or anything, you know, even if they didn't get through a whole bunch of turns um you know they might have a really long turn two or something but in that time they were able to figure out who's clearly winning and who's clearly losing so um yeah four by four thousand points i think is really solid right around yeah that, that that's good but i think in terms of the future and where i'd like to see the game go i think i do think that sweet spot is is 1500 to 1750 like if you want to do that that's when you get all the fun stuff that's when you get That's when you'd have to have a dedicated day for the tournament, though. You know, like at Adepticon, they also had to play around the fact that there's a whole bunch of other tournaments going on and a lot of crossover between players, and, you know, there's only so much time in the day. Whereas if you have a dedicated firefight event that's like a two-day tournament or something, and you have the time to give the games to really breathe, and, you know, you're on a 6 by 4 table, I think that's when the game's going to shine the most, and that's going to be, you know... 1500 to 1750
2: i think you're right i mean that's where it's leaning towards me is on a traditional six by four at that two hour to, to uh you know at that hour or hour and 10 minutes aside the 1500 points feels good uh, i know the event coming up the next northern kings event they're running for three games in one day they're running 1250 points so I'm curious okay, to hear so it's up a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's they they're moving up a little bit. So I'm curious to hear time-wise, how does that event go? Are they able to get through their three games? You know, uh uh so I think we're seeing though, I think we're seeing uh again, and thanks to everyone at Adepticon for a a, a sort of new first player experience. Sometimes it's the first time people are playing firefight experience. That thousand points on a four by four felt perfect yeah but
4: excellent I, intro event kind of totally
2: thing. but i think it does highlight some things that maybe the game is a little bit more balanced or you have a little bit more options once you get up to a little bit bigger board space and uh, points level yeah so and then I'm,
4: you know certain certain units can can shine a lot more on the six by four like when you when you start to have stuff like jet bikes or valkyr or, you know things that are you know, really reliant on being fast and cool. Yeah. The more space they have to work with, the more effective they're going to be.
2: And when so, you have yeah. some more bodies, so they're not as easily targetable, you know, where it's like, i yep. just have nothing else to shoot. So I'll shoot your fast stuff and it's dead,
4: you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. you don't get to
2: use at speed and the, that's what you're paying for in those type of units for, right. You're paying points for their maneuverability. So if you don't get to use those in the game, they're not very exciting, You know they're not going to get you a lot unless you're utilizing why you're getting them.
4: Yeah, and a quick asterisk just to throw into the conversation is, uh, you know, I'm an American, so I want all the toys on the table. You know, I kings should be played at 2300. You want those big guns, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) kings is twenty three hundred. None of this nineteen ninety five. Yeah, so I'm I'm all for it. I mean, I I have played Firefight at two thousand points. I think two thousand is probably a little bit much for like tournament play just you know yeah just because the the rounds do go a bit long and you know it's not like it's not like the game slows down at all but there's just so much to think about when you have that many units you you really have to start weighing the the consequences a little bit more it just takes more time so i think i think just a little bit under that is is great but especially with the cost of units you know if you think about it at a thousand points yeah yeah. think about how much more you get at 1250 and think about how much more you get at at,
2: that's why i'm I'm interested, to tw- I'm interested to try. I'm interested to try fifteen hundred. I haven't played a lot at that level. I played mostly at like this, this the thousand or twelve hundred or whatever. So I think the next few practice games and the next few practice lists I'm going to make are going to be in that fifteen hundred range.
4: Yeah, fifteen hundred is all I played up yeah. until just now. Basically, <laughs> this is the only time I've played the thousand. So. uh Yeah, 1,500, I think, is probably the sweet spot. But I I think 1,750 is kind of the fun, okay, now you get one more tank kind of thing. So, but yeah, that's that's definitely my thoughts on on size and and time and tournament viewing.
2: And I was thinking for, you know, I mentioned it in the early part of the episode, but I'm thinking... Tyler for our fire, Friday night firefight at U.S. Masters. I'm thinking of as we decide what type of event we want to do. I'm thinking we should just put a poll up, and we can put it up on the Countercharge Facebook group, on um, you know the uh, Kings of War fanatics Facebook group, or in some of the regions. Let's just start polling people who are going to be going to Masters, who are interested in taking part in firefight maybe just ask them what type of, of event do they want to do they want to play in a you know uh, a big game or do they want to play in a, a small event we can even run an event where we do like i think it could be something cool maybe depending on how many armies we can get together we do like a how you use it tournament so we have a little tournament but we provide all the armies and yeah. then you, each round you just use a different faction
4: yeah um, that'd be cool that could, that, be, that could cool. be really cool, especially for getting people, you know, into it.
2: Yeah, because I know that the the that, that, that you'll have a, you know, uh, uh you have a nice selection. So I imagine you can fill the bunch of thousand point lists from various things.
4: Um, oh gee, uh, I could I couldn't even imagine doing that.
2: Yeah, exactly. So and then I know I could get a couple. So then we. Well, could especially
4: have, especially because I'm, you know, it's in Omaha, so I'll be driving. So you can you bring know, all your models. Stuff, yeah, model. taking stuff is a lot a lot easier than if i'm playing somewhere so yeah i mean i'm i'm totally down for an idea like that i think that'd yeah. be really fun so if you're if you're gonna sorry, go ahead. yeah i just gotta paint more that's all yeah
2: <laughs> so if you're gonna be coming to masters and you want to take part in the the friday night firefight uh organized play so i'm saying organized play because i don't quite know what we're gonna do but it will be organized we'll have prizes we'll have uh, uh, a bunch of cool stuff going on but just let Tyler and I know. Stay tuned to some surveys about what you guys may want to see, because we want to do, we love Firefight, and we want to do what you guys want, so if you're more interested, you're going to Masters, and you just want to check the game out, we'll skew things more demo. If you want to bring your own armies, like you already have a Firefight army you want to bring, and you want to get something a little bit more uh, competitive, we can do that, but I really want to make this first sort of Friday night Firefight tailored to what you guys want, so just let us know uh, what you're thinking. You'd like to see there, and
4: we'll make it happen. Yeah, and as long as we're rolling d8s, I'm I'm all for it.
2: Yes, yeah, and really, the only thing holding me back in firefight is eights don't explode. So,
4: uh, oh man, in my dead zone game, we had some ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> exploding eights.
2: Oh, and we did talk about how you saw someone found in the rule book, and I guess we just didn't find it that when you're shooting at something with different armor values, you take the highest one.
4: Yeah, I did see that. Okay, so I so, uh, cheated. Is basically uh, what we're saying. I don't know. I still flubbed the role so hard that I don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> well, so. and I'll
2: say it was it it was T, to uh, to uh, uh, agreed upon cheat. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't know. <laughs> we couldn't find it in the book, so we did the best thing. But um, and even when we were saying it, we were like, "Well, you know, I mean, we see." both ways make sense you know yeah
4: yeah i'm not like upset by the decision i'm not like ah curse you you jeremy
2: (laughs) like in the scheme of things it probably wouldn't have made a huge difference like you said because it was you rolling and you rolled so bad anyway that Having the extra guy alive, maybe I don't know, doesn't and I just still love the fact that I had that full squad and there was Mac the knife, and I was like, Oh, he's only one guy, I'll shoot these other guys. And then uh, Mac the knife comes up with Mac. like the double the double Rambo survival knives and just freaking is like <laughs> just you know carves up a whole squad. Just carves, yeah. out, carves up a whole
4: <laughs> squad. That was like my favorite part of the game, was just like that guy's ruthless. Mac the Knife is a legend. Even in my my demo game of Dead Zone yesterday, obviously he made an appearance because it's a beerman game. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was I was GCPS. I took a shot at him. I had a clear shot on Mac the Knife. You know I'm rolling all these dice, and then he just rolled out of his mind the whole bunch of eights and dodged every single thing. Was oh like, nice! Oh Mac, you did it again. <laughs> like, and now the the next step for him
2: in his journey is we got to get him into uh, official uh, firefight universe lore. That's our next mm-hmm. mission. Yeah, exactly. Is, is to get Mac the knife in there somewhere.
4: So yeah, he's um, he's definitely the sweaty gigante of my channel. You know, I
2: think he, I think he he really is.
4: He's yeah, he, he's, he's, he's the guy who he's got the reputation.
2: Uh huh. And I now know it myself because he freaking vaporized the whole unit by himself when I should have shot him off. And I was like, oh, I, I, he's just one guy. What can he do? Oh, he, I, <laughs> as Randy Davis would say, I learned today. I learned that. You're gonna day.
4: learn today. And I did. So.
2: So what's next on your radar then? Right, are you kind of just hovering until Masters? Do you have any events? Uh, no, I've got on? well,
4: Bug Eaters in early Bug June. Eater, right. So yeah, Bug Eaters the first weekend in June, and that's still probably my favorite Kings of War tournament that I go to. That's the that's the one that I have to mark off on my calendar. Like I'm going to this, you know, no if. How far a drive is that kind of, for you? It's Omaha. also Omaha, so it's uh. About eight hours.
2: Oh, that's that's not bad at all.
4: Yeah, especially because, you know, I've got Garrett with me. We'll just, you know, bomb down there. Hopefully we can oh, get to somebody else. Like last year we had a road trip. Yeah, last year we had, um, you know, Trent and we and uh, uh, Brian. So I don't uh-huh. know. Whoever can come along, that'd be great. And yeah, just such good buddies with the Omaha guys. So that's always a blast. But I, I haven't even decided what I'm going to bring for that. I've, I'm kind of leaning towards my empire of dust again because mm-hmm. I did a whole lot of work on that army last year and then didn't get to take them to any events or anything. So I've, I've greatly expanded that army itself, and I, I really like the way it's playing, um, but I haven't really given it too much time on the cool. table. So um, considering that, so yeah, in terms of painting, just all the stuff I said in the hobby update, I just want to continue painting Armada and try to knock out as many of these mm-hmm. stupid rats as I possibly can
2: nice nice
4: give myself some options you know
2: like i said i got i have lone wolf coming up and then pretty much after lone wolf i don't think i it's not going to be anything until masters because then i'm trying to get this army finished for masters and then also i did adepticon and then the reno tournament and then lone wolf so my bank account needs to take a vacation
4: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, from that up after yeah a while
2: from traveling and 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 i've just made like a bunch of hobby purchases i basically have all my stuff for the rest of the year i have yeah so um so i I have been trying to reorganize all my stuff and do some like i I had bought so much hobby stuff i didn't even really know like what i had it's just gotten like out of control a little bit oh no you
4: took a you took a page out of the rob Fanoof.
2: Well, it's just hey, now I actually had to go through my like store in my house and be like, okay, let's let me at least separate. I separate everything into tote boxes of hobby projects. So it's like now all my GCP, GCPS stuff is in one box. Oh, all my Forge Father stuff is in one box. So it's helping me both organize and then also see just how much stuff I have to put together. So I don't need to buy anything else. So this is going to be focusing on getting ready for adepticon getting a second thousand points of firefight assembled and painted so then that way too is i have to then i'll have two thousand point army so that will be enough to run hopefully i'll be able to run dead zone or i can run firefight actually try to do some demos um
4: yeah definitely
2: you know have a couple of stuff done and then and then i did go in on the dungeon origins dungeon saga origins kickstarter yeah, so that's great. Oh, it looks look really so great. good. And it was yeah. really it was really awesome to see sort of the flavor and see where they're taking Twilight Kin. And I just say I'm all about it. Count me you know, give me the yeah, ticket. Definitely.
4: They look well, so looking, good. I love I love the uh I think it's the impalers, the guys with the big the, the shields with the faces on them. Oh, oh they're yeah, so very cool. good. Mm-hmm.
2: And I love some of the other ones like wearing masks over mm-hmm. there. It's, over their eyes they have like the uh, uh, where they're blinded or something and then there's oh yeah just there's so much good there so I'm excited for that Uh,
4: yeah that's that's actually one Kickstarter I I decided not to back for once uh, just because and I think it looks amazing that the deal looks awesome but I knew that it would be a huge gateway drug into starting like a goblins army or a a abyssal dwarves army or a twilight kin army or you know that's like the the first one's free hit. Sure. Where it's like, oh, I got these cool goblins now. And I'm like, well, you know, I've already painted 20 of these goblins. I might as well. And then it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and those are all armies that I, I like the look of, but I haven't pulled the trigger on. So I decided to just not pull the trigger at all. Yeah.
2: Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate we, we we found a time. This is going to be a jammed full episode of Firefight. All oh, told, is nice. probably going to be two hours plus of juicy, juicy Firefight content. So I appreciate you guys continuing to listen to these sort of sideshows as we do our main line of content related to Kings of War. You know, I think probably Tyler next for us is we're going to after we've sort of wrapped up Adepticon. We've now talked a little bit of competitive scene. We've talked a little bit about where power wise, you know, we've done uh, one faction review. We'll definitely do an episode later in the year once the new uh, I don't know what they're going to call it. But the Clash of Kings book for Firefight comes out. We'll we'll do a big episode on that. But I think probably over the next few weeks, we'll plan our next faction review.
4: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to talk about another one in depth. because Yeah, so we've Force done Force Forge
2: Fathers. Fathers. Yeah, we've done Forge Fathers, so we'll do another poll here to think about what you guys want to hear next as far as um, uh, faction reviews go and then we'll get another faction review going. So
0: Awesome. Sounds like a plan.
2: Well, cool, brother. Why don't you take us out? And remember, keep
0: countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on CounterCharge. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.